All right, Justin. You don't get to pick a letter today. I I, I found some news out and I just thought I'd share it because it's, it's it's actually like a nice little bit of news. Uh, okay. So Sounds I came good. I came across a, a video clip of a of a podcast and I'm I'm sorry I don't remember the podcast name at the moment, but it was like an interview with Maggie Q. And they were talking about like her first big Hollywood movie and coming to America, like from you know she is American but she started in Hong Kong. If anybody doesn't know, her early career is just her doing Hong Kong movies because Jackie Chan picked her to be a fucking action star. So she was just, you know, doing Hong Kong movies. Her first, like, a Hollywood American movie was Mission Impossible 3 with J.J. Abrams. And so, you know, she'd been making movies for a very long time and all this shit. And, but she came to America and she was doing that movie and she showed up on set. And, like, the PA was like, hey, here's your trailer if you want to drop your stuff off. And she looked and saw that it was, like, the same trailer as everybody else. So it's the same trailer that Tom Cruise had. It was the same trailer that Lawrence Fishburne had, that Ving Rames had, that Philip Seymour Hoffman had. It was like the same trailer as everybody else. And she's like, no, that's obviously not my trailer. She's like, you know, I'm the new person. And on top of that, it's not in her contract to get anything like that. You know, so she's like, oh, no, that's not mine. And the production assistant's like, no, no, it is. And he, she's like, no, it's fine. And like, I'm just going to keep my bag on me because she's like, the last thing I want to do is drop my bag off. Just be told like two hours later to get your bag out of somebody's trailer. So she's like, no, I'll keep my bag. And she went like she was talking to the costume or makeup person or whatever. Like she was having a meeting with them. And then one of Tom Cruise's production partners, like this woman, like produces movies with Tom Cruise and everything. Like she came to talk to Maggie and was like, hey, Maggie, is something wrong with your trailer? And Maggie's like, oh, no, it's just obviously it's not my trailer, you know. And then she's like, no, no, it is. And she's like, no, I saw the trailer. It's not mine. And then so this woman then tells her that like the day before that Tom Cruise came to set because Tom Cruise is very hands on with all the movies he does because he produces all of them. And he like came to set and he makes sure everybody's trailers exactly what they want and all this stuff. And he saw what trailer they were giving her and they were like, oh, no, you got to give her the same trailer as everybody else. And the, the other producers were like, oh, no, it's not her contract. And he was like, no, you're going to give her the same trailer as we all get because you're not going to treat her like she's less than us. Like, you're going to get her the same trailer. And so they went and got it's her the tight. trailer. And I'm just like, you know what? That's nice, Tom Cruise. That's tight. Yeah, that, that's really cool. Like Man, Tom Cruise dude, had never. I'm, I'm starting to it just feels like like every so often I hear a cool story about him, and it's like a good story. It's like not a negative. Yeah, I mean, you can say whatever you want about the Church of Scientology and that side of him and all this other stuff. That's one thing, but apparently, when it comes to making movies, though, he's like one of just the best people in the world to ever work with. Like, he just super cares about making movies. He super cares about taking care of people. Like one of the other stories that she was telling about that is that her best friend like died while she was making mission impossible three. And she was like, Tom Cruise's support helped me get through the rest of that filming. Like Tom Cruise, just being nice and caring to me helped me get through it. 
It's tight. And like she even told the story of one time, like something went wrong on set one day. Like she messed something up. And it was like the combination of that and dealing with the emotional damage of her friend dying. But like she started like just kind of emotionally breaking down, like, you know. And so Tom Cruise was like, hey, everybody else, leave this set. We're just going to give her time to process this. Like, we're just going to give her time to like do what she's doing. Instead of like, you know how most people are like, we'll leave the set We're you know, we're not going to deal with this. No, he shut down everything just to give her what she needed for the moment. And let her, you know, get through whatever she needed and like, you know, just kind of talk to her and like helped her out and just went back to filming afterwards. Wow. That's hella cool, man. Yeah. That is a good story. Yeah. And she was talking about how he's just like the most professional person to work with. You know, he's just, you know, it's, it's just about like, if you come to set and you like, I want to make a movie, that's all he wants to do. Like, if you come to set with that attitude, that's all he needs. You know what I mean? Like, that's a big thing to him and stuff. And she said, like, she's worked with, you know, a ton of people and, you know, professionals and all this sort of stuff. But she said he is single-handedly the most professional person she's ever worked with. Hands down. And then, like, I think back to it, too. Like, this was, I guess, a little bit before that whole him going on that rant about people needing to wear masks. And I'm like, no, that even makes sense. Cause like, I, I didn't see what he did as being unprofessional and it just kind of spoke to the attitude of what I was talking about. That Like he wants to make the movie. He doesn't want to deal with all this other shit. He wants to make the movie and they have to follow the rules to make the movie. They have to make sure there's no outbreaks to make the movie. So we're, you know, quit all this shit. We're making the movie, you know, I was like, no, oh, that makes sense. Like that just lines up, you know? Yeah, definitely. When you think about that story and then you hear this, yeah, it definitely makes a lot of sense, like what his attitude is, what his approach is. And and I mean, and then you just think about other stories that are just more common knowledge now, like just about how meticulous he is about doing his own stunt work for those Mission Impossible movies and just how he will really, he will literally try to do every possible stunt he can. And, and, and I mean, the guy still looks good. Like, like when you look at all the actors and actresses from his class, like, like I, you know, I just saw a preview for the Top Gun Maverick movie. And I, and I, you know, and I'm sitting there watching the preview and I'm sitting here going, man, dude, he still looks pretty good like you can just tell he still takes care of himself and stuff like that you know you can just tell how serious it it is to him so yeah well and part of that too because maggie q also addresses the whole doing your own stunts thing because she comes from hong kong movies with specifically under jackie chan's team of making movies so the whole idea is if I can do the stunt, I'm going to do it, you know, because you're paying to watch me perform a role. And if I can do it, I'm going to do it. You know, she's like, sometimes, you know, you can't and all this other stuff. Like sometimes you can't, it's too dangerous, whatever, you know, it is what it is. But she's like, she's the same way. She's like, if it's a stunt I can perform, I'm going to do it. Like, cause 
That's what I'm here to do is I'm here to play this role. So I'm like, and she was talking about that and she was talking more specifically about herself, but you can also just sense that like, you know, that's the Tom Cruise way too. Like she got that from, she got that from Hong Kong and Jackie Chan. But I'm like, that's, that's Tom Cruise's mindset. You want to see him almost die in every mission impossible movie. And I don't mean his character of Ethan Hawke or Ethan Hunt. Ethan Hawke is Josh Hartnett's other personality. Uh, (laughs) Ethan Hunt. Uh, you you want to see Tom Cruise almost die in every one because he's doing something fucking crazy. Like, I mean, I don't want him to die. I want him to keep making these movies, but I'm just saying that's kind of the draw and he knows it. Everyone knows it. You're going to see this motherfucker do something insane. Yep. And I still think the, the craziest stunt he did that was just so unspoken about was the fact that it was in the same movie he did the whole fucking uh, plane thing where he's on the side of the plane and shit. But he did that whole scene underwater where he like has to break into the place underwater. And they did it like the way they would shoot it and stuff. He would have to be underwater for like seven or eight minutes with no air. And so he trained himself to fucking go underwater for seven to eight minutes. Like Man. just like crazy ass shit that no one, no one would have blamed him for taking a little pocket breather or any of that bullshit. You know what I mean? Or he'd just have some scuba divers down there, like giving him air between takes or whatever. Like, yeah, they did that. But I'm just saying like the whole way it was done, he would like be underwater for like an absurd amount of time. And you're like, why? You don't fucking need to do that. But he wanted it to feel real. He wanted those scenes where Ethan Hunt is like running out of breath and almost drowning. He wanted you to feel that because he was. <laughs> man, that's that's really tight, man. It's like this fucking guy's out of his damn mind. So. Yeah, no, I just thought I thought we'd start with a nice little Hollywood story. Because we don't get a lot of that shit. Yeah, that was a nice change of pace from what we usually from the stories we're usually talking about. Or tell it. So yeah, that was nice. Yeah. All right, let's start the episode. Somebody will listen to me. Nobody knows anything but you. Alright. Are you ready? Yeah. Come on. Cinema Slayer. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers Podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by just Justin tonight. Heather has the night off because she didn't watch either one of the movies we're talking about. So, yeah, can't really be on the episode if you're not watching the movies. It's just kind of how we do it. You know, we, we try to only be on episodes we watch movies of. Unless it's, we're talking about an M. Night Shyamalan movie. I've got no problems being on those episodes and not watching it. Just none. <laughs> But uh, so tonight we're going to we're going to do a two for for you. We're going to do that Sonic the Hedgehog two. And we're talking about uh, God, I always feel like I'm going to mess up this movie's name. Everything, everywhere, all of the time. Right. Everything, everywhere, all at once, all at once. See, I knew I was going to mess it up. Close. (laughs) 
it's a very complicated title. So. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're not looking at anything. You just, I felt like I was, I knew I was going to fuck it up anyway. Uh, but we're going to talk about both of those movies. We're going to get into what we'd like, didn't like, and everything in between. We'll, you know, have our spoiler free recommendations and scores and then more spoiler centric sections for both of them with time codes in the description to allow you to jump around. If you so require, uh, especially if you've only seen one of these movies, you can listen to just that part and you can listen to the other one once you've watched the movie. So, uh, I guess let's start off. You want to go Sonic first, Justin? Sure. Why not? Yeah, let's go with that one. Uh, all right. What are your spoiler free thoughts about Sonic? All right. Sonic the Hedgehog 2. So um, after coming off of the first one, which the the first Sonic I enjoyed, it, it was actually a pleasant surprise for me, the first movie, because typically video game movies are just terrible, just like awful. You know, they've got that history of just being these terrible, terrible movies. They deviate so much from the source material. Most of the time, the video game movie is unrecognizable and it's just like not a good experience most of the time. And and even in that podcast, we talked about just how lately it seems like there have been attempts to change that. You know, we talked about Detective Pikachu and how that seemed like uh, a better attempt to capture the essence of what Pokemon was. And, and we talked about Sonic, the first Sonic in the same light. And with this sequel, I'm happy to report that. I think I enjoyed this about as much as I did the first Sonic movie. Um, there are things I think about the first Sonic movie that are better. Um, but I do feel that this one ends stronger. I think that the payoff at the end of this was stronger than the, the the first Sonic movie. So while the other Sonic movie has some elements I think are better, uh, I do think this one comes together nicer than the first movie does. Um, you know, if I'm making comparisons, uh, it, it was nice to see. And from the previews, you know that Knuckles is going to be in this. You know that Tails is going to be in this. And I thought that they did those dynamics well. The 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 everything from the the voice acting, even by like you know Idris Elba who played, um, who voice acted Knuckles in this. He did a great job. Um, you know the voice casting for Tails, and I can't remember offhand who the voice actor was, but it sounded like the Tails that I know from the games from the from the cartoon shows so whoever oh i'm sorry colleen o'shaughnessy did the the voice of tales she did a great job i mean she sounded like what i remember tales sounded like growing up with and all of the dynamics were there the 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 characters have the personalities they were supposed to have um this one definitely focused more on the Sonic characters than it did the humans. And and some of that, I think it had to, some of that might've been to the detriment of the movie as well. I I don't know if all of that wound up being good, but that is pretty much what we get here. 
Um, and Jim Carrey is Dr. Robotnik, man. Like, um, I know that uh, you complained about the first Sonic movie that there was a bit too much Carrey. So I'm pretty sure that you probably shared the same uh, opinion about this one because Jim Carrey was acting a fool in this. And I just loved all of it. Like, I just enjoyed his scene so much. Like, he is having so much fun playing this Robotnik Eggman character. And, you know, and even though, you know, I can't say that he is playing an accurate portrayal of Dr. Robotnik. Like Dr. Robotnik is crazy and loony and in the games and in the cartoon and stuff like that, but not to the level of Jim Carrey kind of crazy the way that Jim Carrey does it. But even still, he, for the most part, captures the essence of Robotnik. I think he's funny when he needs to be. There are times where the character is menacing, but in his own quirky kind of way. And he was that. And just his interactions with all the other characters, whether you're talking about uh, Robotnik's helper, who was from the first movie, that guy returns in this movie. Um, You know, they had some good interactions. His interactions with Knuckles, like Jim Carrey, just, I I think he killed it in this man, just all of the different scenes with him and everything like that. And like, and like, and for me, you know, I'm a fan of the old Jim Carrey, you know, the, the liar, liar, the, 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 those movies that sort of really just made him a star. And it's nice to to get back to that because you don't see it often. And so the, there is a nostalgia element to it. But man, I, I think that he was probably even better in this movie than he was in the first one. I just think that they, they gave him a lot to do. He interacted with the characters a lot. Um so and I think the movie was better for it. And and I mean, I laughed a lot at just and it wasn't even like there were he was telling jokes or it was the writing or the dialogue or anything like that. Just his mannerisms, the way that he would do things or the way that he would react to what somebody would say. Just just Jim Carrey doing Jim Carrey things. And I think the movie was better for it. Um, Overall, um. Did it need to be two hours? Probably not. There are some specific scenes where I think you could have cut them or simplified them or maybe even removed them completely. And you could have got this movie to about a buck and a half. It could have been 90 minutes, I think, if certain scenes weren't so long or if certain scenes uh, weren't in there. Um, And and at times, I do think uh, the story could could it it ran the risk of being really convoluted because you had to introduce these characters you had to talk about they had to have backstory you had to talk about the journey and what we were doing and the MacGuffin and what we the the emerald MacGuffin and what we were looking for and all that kind of stuff and i think that it ran the risk of falling under the weight of all of these different things but surprisingly, I think they brought together everything nicely. You know, they explained the characters, the new characters enough to where you get them, you understand them. And then they made it about those the interactions with those characters. And I think all of that wound up being effective. And then finally, when the movie comes to a close, it, it, it like I said, I think that 
the ultimately the payoff. And when you get to the end credits and everything like that, you know, I had people shouting in my theater um, that that are Sonic fans, obviously so because of what they saw at the end credits and stuff like that. All of that was good. And then for me personally, because I'm kind of that person that grew up on the Sonic video games. You know, I fell in love with this character because of the games. I wasn't much of a cartoon watcher or the Sonic X that came out later. Or You know, he's had so many different cartoons. And I think there's even a current cartoon on right now, you know, that, that Sonic the Hedgehog, whatever. So, you know, there's like, I realized that there's like a generation of people that probably just know him from that, you know, that that's probably a real thing. But the gamer in me was so happy to see all the little Easter eggs to the game. And there are many of them that I could talk about um, in the spoiler section. But I mean, I swear, just every every scene, just about anything that had to do with Sonic, there was a sound from the game. There was something from the game. There was music from the game. There was a mention about the game. There was an homage to the games. And I just appreciated all that, man. You know, like I said, when we reviewed the first one, this really feels like this was made or written by people who are not just trying to make a movie, not just trying to make money. Yes, yes, it's all to make money. Hollywood, Hollywood. But it feels like these are genuine fans of this character and the games and stuff like that. And if these and I know other video game movies are coming, I know that there's a Mario game being made. The director of this has talked about he would love to tackle Smash Brothers and try to do a Smash Brother movie. Uh, Jeff Fowler, he said that in an interview. um, There's a Halo series out right now. But so obviously video game properties are getting another chance to add, add movies here lately. And I think that these Sonic movies are like a great blueprint on how to do these video game movies. You know, you got to have a, a, a human element, but you've also got to capture the essence of the characters. You got to capture the essence of the game. You don't want to completely abandon every concept in the game, even if you have to change them. And I think if you do that and there's a real genuine fandom for what these, what the source material is, ultimately you will succeed. And I I think this movie succeeded. I think that this is a very good follow-up, a very acceptable sequel to what was um, a good movie the the first time around. You were right, Justin. There was too much Jim Carrey in the first movie. Uh, Just Jim carrying the fuck around, like, um, but at least in this, while it was more of the same, it it didn't actually affect me as much because it was just kind of his established way of playing the character, you know? Mm. So it just was, it added a little bit of familiarity to it all, you know what I mean? Instead of it just being another movie, Jim Carrey's just being Jim Carrey in, it just, you know, it becomes, an, it's it's just more of the same character. So it just, you know, when you get that and you get that consistency with it, it ends up feeling a little bit nice in that situation, you know, because it's, it's what we've talked about before. Like sometimes cliches and 
uh, stuff like that kind of help a movie because it just makes you get an instant sense of familiarity with it and a comfort level with it. And that kind of provided that in this movie a little bit, you know, it didn't hurt hurt that like Ben Schwartz as, as Sonic was, you know, just being the same Sonic, you know what I mean? But it just kind of helped add that. And, you know, when you have the same dynamic between the two, you know, as that hero villain, you know, contrast and stuff, it just kind of worked. I, it, it felt more comfortable in this movie. And to me, like I said, I think it's because it is the sequel to it. Um, Oh, I loved Idris Elba as Knuckles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Knuckles was fantastic in this. Knuckles is my favorite Sonic character. Like, I've, any, yeah, anytime there's a, a Sonic he's game and you get to be Knuckles, I'm Knuckles. Like, I will <laughs> yeah. be Nux. Like, I just Man, love it. I remember the first time they said you could play as him. And I remember thinking, oh, he's just going to be another palette swap. Like, what's so, what's going to be so different about him? But dude, he could he could spin dash like Sonic. He could run up the loops and do all of that. But he could float. He could fly. He could latch onto walls with his knuckles, and he could climb up walls and grab stuff that that Sonic couldn't get unless you had tails to help you use the hang on to tails and use the propeller. So he seemed so cool. Like it used to be, if you played with knuckles. That was like a less difficult. It was more challenging to play with Sonic and Tails because Knuckles just had the abilities of both of them, you know. But so, and yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's it, he put games on easy mode because he was just a way better character. Like, yeah, and th- that's yeah. like at a certain point in some of the Sonic games, I'm like, who the fuck is playing a Sonic? Like Tails can fly. <laughs> like they all can do the spin dash. Tails can fly. Like you said, Knuckles could float and climb on walls and do the spin dash. They, all the characters play the same speed. If they played different speeds, okay, I could maybe understand wanting to play as a Sonic. But it's like, it's like in Super Mario 2. Who the fuck played as Mario? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, I did because I'm just a stupid fan like that, but you're right. There was no reason to play as Mario. Yeah, Peach every- could float. Toad was lightning fast. Luigi had that sort of gliding jump so he could, and he could jump so high he could yeah. get anywhere. Yeah, Mario totally why, was. Why were you playing like, as Mario? There was no reason to play as him. <laughs> he, was, he, just, he was just Mario. Everyone else had special abilities and all that shit. Mario yeah. just kind of being regular. He was just mediocre as fuck. And that's what Sonic is in the games. Is Sonic's just mediocre as fuck. But like, I loved that the way they introduced Sonic or Knuckles in this. Like, I loved that scene at the house when yeah, Robotnik just sidesteps and Knuckles is just, hey, I'm Knuckles. Want to know why they call me that? Punch to your face. Like, <laughs> it was, it's one of the best character intros that you know is coming ever. Like I, it was utterly fantastic. I like, yeah. and I, I liked the character portrayal of Knuckles too. Like, I don't know much of the lore of the Sonic games, so I don't know if that's just the way Knuckles is and everything. I just, you know, played the games where there was no story. You just went from level to level, so that's what I did. Yeah, and they didn't really talk or anything yeah. like that. And I think in the later, in the car, some of that is probably the cartoons and stuff like that, where 
they kind of and later games where the characters kind of got a little more personality. But for the most part, this story plays out like the older games as far as the relationship Knuckles. I won't say anything about the plot here, but as far as the relationship that Knuckles has with Robotnik and then sort of what winds up happening is very much in the spirit of the old games. But yeah, his personality traits probably come from later stuff. You can just say it, Justin, because I, I, I'm going to argue that's not a spoiler. Because what the fuck else were they going to do in a movie like this? It's You're every right. time a character shows up in a movie, what are they? They start as enemies and become friends. That's every mm-hmm. fucking movie ever like this. Yeah. With the exception much. of Freddy versus Jason, they kept fighting. But other than that, even Godzilla versus King Kong did the same thing. Yeah. And I think we even said on the first uh, on when we reviewed the first Sonic movie, we were like, and and we we found out about the Knuckles reveal. We were both like, well, you know, what's got to happen. He's got to he's going to start off being their enemy. And then, of course, they've got to come together. So, yeah, it wasn't like anybody doesn't know that. But I guess my point is, is that that is very much how the game goes. to Exactly. You know, that's what I'm saying. Go ahead and say it because it's not a spoiler. Because if you're yeah. surprised by him turning face at the end of the movie, what the fuck? <laughs> Have you watched a movie ever? Yeah, that's true. And I mean, obviously, if you've seen any Sonic anything, Knuckles is clearly a friend, not a foe. So exactly. How could you not know that was going to happen? So yeah, you're right. I guess you're right. It's like if they, if you know, it's just like, what was it? They did Batman versus the teenage mutant Ninja turtles. What happens? They fight a little bit and then they join forces because of fucking course they are. They're not going to have either of the, any of those characters stay technically the bad guy for the whole movie, you know? Yeah. So it is what it is. (laughs) Like, it's just, that's what I'm saying is you can just say it. It's not like, I'm not trying to offend anybody out there that didn't see that coming. But if you're not five years old, you knew it was coming. I'm just saying like, yeah, um, but it, it was fine. Like they did a good job of making it feel not forced when they had that yes, turn. They did. Sometimes they do it in a movie and you're like, well, they just did it because of course they were doing it. Okay. This one, they they showed a journey. They showed a, you know, they showed a plot to establish that happening. So it makes sense, at least. That was good. You know, I guess some, like I said, a lot of movies would be too lazy to do that. Especially kind of movies that are family movies. Yeah. They're like, kids aren't going to care if we justify it or not. So who gives a fuck? You know? They took their time and did it. I, I applaud that. Um, you were infinitely right, though. Dear God, this movie didn't need to be two hours long. Jesus. No. <laughs> hey, no. there, it's 20 minutes longer than the first one, and there wasn't 20 minutes worth of scenes that they needed more of. I disagree with you. I say get rid of every single scene that had a person in it. Oh, I hated every <laughs> scene that had human beings in this movie. Yeah, the people scenes. The, those are the scenes. I agree. Cut every single fucking one of them. You can keep the one at the beginning when him and James Marsden are like, you know, this is the point of you know, essentially the Uncle Ben speech. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you yeah. can keep the Uncle Ben speech 
And you could keep a point later in the movie when they pull that back around. You know, it was a nice little ending when he's like, hey, you know, uh, you know, it's like, oh, your family, you know, you're my, and he's like, thanks, dad. Uh, that, that might be a spoiler, whatever. I don't care. That was a nice little scene at the end, you know? Yeah. So you could have the was. Uncle Ben scene and you can have that scene. You can maybe have a couple of scenes where they're like, man, we're worried about Sonic and, you know, just showing them thinking of them, uh, of him as their kid, you know, just show them like, man, we're really worried about Sonic. He might be in over his head, but what can we do? They're in fucking Scandinavia or whatever the fuck they're doing, you know, chasing the shit down. Like, you know, like that would be fine. But that whole wedding Hawaii subplot, all <laughs> fuck all that. Fuck every single one of those scenes. Oh my God. And if you're going to do it, why was it so long? Oh my God. Why and was it so long? Why was it like when you're saying convoluted to me, that's what convoluted the movie. Like yeah. you can have a lot of the other, some of the lore, maybe getting a little bit just too heavy, if you will, maybe making some convolutedness to the movie. I could see that. I could see that being a point a little bit. But everything, the whole thing with the fucking people was just nonstop, convoluted, dumb, pointless bullshit. Like, you know who should have never been cast in this movie? Shamar Moore. I've got nothing against Shamar Moore. Just none of his scenes were needed in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. None of it. Like, I, 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 if they wanted to cut all that, but they still, if they wanted to add 20 minutes of the movie, just showing what Dr. Robotnik's henchman has been doing with that coffee shop while he's waiting for Robotnik to come back. I'd actually be okay with that. That, that seemed intriguing as fuck. Yeah. He's just making Robotnik's constantly on some lattes and just, (laughs) that was a, that was a genuinely funny scene to me. Just yeah, it was. perfect. He's just so carefully crafting it. And that guy just goes spoon stir zero fucks. Like, <laughs> yeah. Agent stone man, dude, like he he's, he's like one of the low key, like MVPs of this. Oh, like, definitely. Yeah. Like just his scenes. And whenever him and Robotnik got together, it was just like, it's like comedy gold. Like, like they just were, so, they were amazing together in this, they you know. They have great chemistry together. They do. They really like, do. The energy that they bring together in scenes, like, it's just, it's fantastic. It really is. It adds such a great level of chemistry and, like, weirdly enough, warmth and heart even though it's not really there, it's just his henchman loves him so much that like it, it makes it almost a warm friendship. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not at all. Robotnik gives zero fucks about this guy, but like, yeah, <laughs> he just, he loves Robotnik so much. And it's just, it's a, a fantastic dynamic. I, you could have done 20 minutes of that. And I would not have cared. I would, that would have been fantastic. It's just, there's a we'll get into it in spoilers, but there's just a whole subplot with the human characters. That is just the one of the worst things I've ever seen in a movie. Because I'm like, yeah. there's zero point in any of this, really. Like, 
Yeah. It's, they had to justify the paychecks to those people, I guess. I mean, good for you, James Marsden. Make your money. Like, I'm not mad at any of them for being in this movie to make their money. Like, that's their job. Be in a movie, make money. But the writer and director shouldn't have had it. Like, I'm just throwing, I'm just saying, like. But. Yeah, it almost felt like they were like, okay, we have these human characters. And they are important. You know, they are supposed to be a part of Sonic's family. But you could just tell that they had, there was so much energy given to Robotnik, the Tails and the Knuckles dynamic, and you had to develop all of that. And it felt like they were like, okay, what do we do with these humans? And somebody said, we'll just bunch a subplot in this movie and we would do all the human stuff in that subplot. And then we will. And once we're done with that, then we can go back to what's important, what's important in this movie and get back to like the brass tacks of the movie. And that's what this felt like. It just felt like they had to do something with them. And they said, okay, this is the thing we came up with. We can all have them here. This can happen. XYZ happens and then we leave them and go back to the Sonic characters. Um, well, I have a theory. And I about mean, it. like, God, but that scene, oh my gosh, there had to have been a better way. And it makes me scared because it's like, okay, what are you going to, how are you going to use them in the next one? Like, <laughs> you well, know, this is, <laughs> this is, this is what I have for a theory. I think that they were really surprised at the success of the first movie. And so they were like, man, write us a second one. All right. And the guy wrote a second movie and they're like, fuck yeah, here's our second movie. And then they go, well, you didn't put any of the human characters in there. And they're like, yeah, we don't really need it. Like, you know, we can just do a Sonic movie. You know, they can be in here a little bit, but you know, we're doing this. And they're like, no, they're under contract. We have to have them in this movie because we got to pay them. So you write some (laughs) damn scenes and put them in there for these people because we have to pay them. And then they went, uh, and then just played Mad Libs to come up with a plot to throw in for the people. Like, so <laughs> I think with the third movie, it just depends on how many contracts these live, the live people are on there. If it's a two movie deal, cool. We'll get less of them in the third movie. It'll be better for it. But like Shamar Moore's not coming in for five minutes of screen time. This guy is yeah. a prime time movie or t- television actor. You know, he signed like a three picture deal. He's gonna be yeah, all you know he's there. gonna be in it. Yeah. Yeah, oh, man. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. But no, other than that, though, I I think this movie's fine. Like, I'm not as high on it as once again as you are, but kind of like the first one. No, it's a super solid video game movie. Super solid. I think I think both Sonic movies are in the top three of video game movies of all time. Yeah, I think, or, or at least up there, be? like top five, at least. I mean, I do think the first Mortal Kombat movie is not terrible. Um, I do enjoy it. And Detective Pikachu is fantastic, too. So, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, those, those two are definitely in there. Those two in the first two Sonic movies. I think those are the top four. I think maybe you can throw the first Resident Evil in there. Well, I don't think it's a great Resident Evil movie per se. It would have worked if they kept it that way. Just like a side story to what the fuck was going on to the games. Mm. 
I think it was, mm-hmm. I think it was fine like that. You know, I put that maybe as my number five, you know, but outside of that, every other video game is tied for a big piece of shit. Yeah. You know, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> but I mean, for, for being a kid movie or like a family movie, no, it's a fine little family movie. You know, it it really is. And I did find myself a, in parts of this movie, though, just thinking to myself, what if they had kept the original character design for Sonic and they had to do a version of that of of uh, Tails and Knuckles? Just looking all oh, janky. God. Like, oh, I, want, God. I want somebody <laughs> to like Photoshop what they would look like in the style of the original Sonic design. I would want to see that, too. Because I bet they would look like scary monsters or something. Would but I, I would I would love to see that. Like, because like Tails, I guess, would have more fox looking features, like in his face and his nose. And because you know, Tails, like, he's a fox, but clearly they took liberties with how he looks. He would look more foxy, right? Like he would almost look kind of like what? Like almost like Mr. Fox-ish. In a way, like he would yeah. have more animalistic fox features, right? And what the hell would they do with Knuckles? Because <laughs> yeah, as much as Sonic doesn't, doesn't actually look, look like a hedgehog. Like yeah. Like, <laughs> what the fuck would they do with an echidna? He would just have a pointier nose? Yeah. And like more spines on his back or something? Like. Yeah, and his eyes would look weird. They They would look scary, I think. Yeah, it turns it from a kid's movie to a fucking horror movie. Pretty much. Like, like it's literally, it's the difference between, like, going to Chuck E. Cheese or going to that fucking, uh, oh, that fucking Nicolas Cage uh, Willy movie. Willy's? Wally's? Willy's? Willy's. Wonderland? Yeah, Willy's Wonderland. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It's the difference between that and Chuck E. Cheese. Like it's the Sonic in that. Like now, I kind of want to see that movie though too. I want to see like Robotnik and his henchmen and James Marsden all have to team up to take on the monster version of the Sonic characters in a battle against the demonic forces of evil. That'd be crazy. That would be a lot of fun, though. Wouldn't it be fun if they did a version of that where like they come from a mirror universe like Sonic 4 is like they're like fuck it we're gonna multiverse this shit and then like those versions of them came from the multiverse to fight them. That would be crazy. So then they all had to team up and you know that would make for some fun dynamics. Yeah I'd be down for that. And you can have like Jim Carrey come back in that but he's the, the good wholesome Robotnik from that universe that just wants to stop the evil creatures, which is literally the same motivation in this one that he thinks that earth's under an alien invasion, but he's actually right that they're evil monster creatures. (laughs) That would be funny. And then he could actually look more like he does in the game. Like this one could be fad and have like more of a video game. Look, than the Jim Carrey one, you know. 
Yeah. Which the Jim Carrey one looks like. I mean, I'm not saying that he doesn't look anything at all like his video game counterpart. He does. But, you know, this one could be literally an egg man. You know, he could be a big circle. Yeah. The real reason why he's called Eggman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, let's go to recommendations and scores. Recommendations and scores. What you got, Justin? Yeah, I recommend it, especially like if you like the first movie, you I think you'll like this one. Like I said, I enjoyed it just as much as that first one. Um, and I think it, as a family movie, like you said, a solid family movie is one of those where there's enough here where it'll keep the kids occupied. They'll like what they're seeing. They they know these characters. They grew up with them. They'll they'll like what they're seeing on screen. And then there's enough laughs and there's enough adult stuff that I think a, an adult won't just be rolling their eyes at the screen. You know, I think an adult will have a fine uh, time with it. And then if you're somebody who is, you know, a fan of the games and you follow this character and stuff like that, there's a lot of Easter eggs and stuff in here for you, too that you'll be happy to see and it'll give you a smile on your face just because there are all these little homages and love letters to the game that I just loved in this one. Like they, they went even, it felt like they like dug down even more into that and was like, we're just going to do hella Easter eggs in this one. And I appreciated all of that, man. Like I think I, I caught so many that that I just loved that they were in the movie. So I really think that this is one of those where it, it's a solid sequel. It's a, a good sequel. So we have a good video game movie sequel. Who to thunk it? it? It was fine. So with that being said, we're going to go with, I want to say I gave the last one. I remember I gave the last one like an 80. And then on another podcast, I was like, it should have been lower. And I think I gave it about a 75 or something like that. And I think this one is, yeah, it's about there, 70, 75. So we'll go. But I I enjoyed this one a little bit more, just a, a tad bit more than I did the first one. So we'll go 76. That sounds about right. We'll go 76. Uh, um, 76 attempts by Dr. Robotnik to make his perfect latte, but failing out of a hundred. Um, I'm kind of the same way. I think this is a slightly better version of the first one. Yeah. Um, you know, and like I said, I, I have no, nothing against the first one. I, I just was not as high on it as you. I, I don't, I played some Sonic video games, but I was never like, oh, my God, the new Sonic's coming out. Let me go play it. It'd be a, <laughs> oh, there's another Sonic game and you've had it. I guess we could play it when this come out. Oh, two years ago. OK. And I play the game <laughs> like I, I play a Sonic game. It's fine. You know. Um, and it's and, and that's kind of what this is. It's just it's a it's a fine family movie. That even just as a single adult, you can go and enjoy this movie. Especially if you like Sonic, it's just a fine little fucking fun time at the movies, you know, and I'm not going to lie. I think that those moments are few and far between these days. So take them where you can get them. Go have a fun little time at the movies. Watch Sonic 2. It's fine. Like it's not going to blow your pants off. It's not going to 
you know, redefine the genre other than I guess it does redefine the genre because all other video game movies are bad. So I guess it does (laughs) that. (laughs) It does that. It redefines the video game movie genre, not necessarily the family movie genre. Um, But it's just, yeah, it's just a fun little family time at the movies and it's slightly better. And it's, it's because of knuckles knuckles is fantastic in this movie. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, 72, 72 knuckles punching shit out of a hundred. Uh, spoilers. Yeah. Spoilers. I don't know about how much really there were video game Easter eggs in this. Like not as much as you, I noticed a few, there were a fun few. Like there's a scene where Sonic gets hit. And he goes off a ledge and his rings fall and it makes the ring sound from when he gets hit. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. That him, was fun. When he was drowning, it was just like if you were underwater in the games. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, those are the two that like really stood out to me. I know there was a few here and there, but like that, those two were like genuinely, you're like, yeah, that's straight out the game like type of shit. Um, yeah. You know, like, and you know, other than like the characteristics, like, you know, Knuckles doing all that shit. And they're like, oh, fuck, he's fast, too, because Knuckles is weirdly just almost as fast as Sonic. And then whenever he's like, oh, I can climb walls, too. And you're like, yeah, he's just infinitely better than Sonic. Like, I was like, this movie did a great job of showing you that. Like, and I think to me, that's a video game Easter egg because he's just he's just better. (laughs) Yeah. Whenever. um Sonic and Tails escaped and he latches onto the side of the mountain and he starts just climbing up with his knuckles. You know that that was for the gamer people. You know that that was all. As soon as I saw him latch onto that side of that mountain, I went, he's got to climb up the mountain, you know, and he did. And so, you know, it was just like, and, and, and that was one consistent thing about the movie too, that they kept like, Sonic never beat him in a one-on-one battle. You know, they, they, they were good about kept keeping that, keeping true to that. He was better than Sonic. He was more trained than Sonic. He was more about his business than Sonic was. And even though Sonic put up a better fight the second time they fought, he still would have lost, you know, if it hadn't been for, um, you know, him getting Knuckles attention on Robotnik. So I'm glad that they kept that dynamic. They didn't do anything dumb where it's like, oh, I can't beat him now. But then later in the movie, I just can, you know, kind of like how the Dark Knight Rises was with Bane kind of, you know, how he just yeah suddenly could beat him at the end. Like they didn't do anything like that. I thought they were at first and I was like, why can't he suddenly beat him now? And then, you know, Knuckles gave him one good hit and. Well, <laughs> that was kind of it. <laughs> and I, I like the fact that they showed Sonic being very undisciplined and just using his speed yeah. all the time. He's like, I'm faster than everybody. So I'm just going to be fast and I'm going to just luck out because I'm fast. And then when yeah. against somebody that may not be as fast, but is infinitely more disciplined. And and stronger, like more disciplined, yeah. stronger and damn near as fast like he might not be as fast like maybe he can't run on water like sonic can but 
knuckles damn fast. Like, yeah, you know, and and you're and you're right. There is just no world that in this version of Sonic could ever beat Knuckles. Just not. Yeah. Yeah. Because. Yeah. And I was I was afraid of the same thing, Justin, because I'm like, they're going to have him learn a lesson and therefore he's going to be more disciplined and more trained than Knuckles magically all of a sudden. No, I do not accept that. And they at least didn't do that. They they yeah. just had them finding the common enemy in the middle of their fight. So that worked, you know, that made it not as dumb as they could have gone. Yeah. You know, they didn't end up doing like Kong versus Godzilla where Godzilla just beats the fuck out of King Kong, but gets beat by Mecha Godzilla that King Kong is the one that has to beat him. Like they didn't go that route. (laughs) Why'd you have to bring that up? Cause it's, Oh, it's a good like correlation of, the same story, but dumber. Yeah, true. And it's and, and, and is that is that sad that we live in a world where a Sonic movie, a Sonic the Hedgehog movie, can do a versus battle like that better than Godzilla versus Kong? Yeah, is that sad? It is. It that's is just, sad. That's sad, isn't it? Because yeah. Sonic, the video game franchise, essentially the company behind it went belly up because they started fucking up Sonic games. So it's not like it's that unheard of to fuck up Sonic. Yeah, it's true. That's true. Sega's been doing it for decades. They, they've made a ton of shitty ass Sonic games. Oh God. Oh God. Oh six. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Like there's, what was it? The, like Sonic in the last night game. And then there's that, then there's just that shadow game where it's just Sonic, but with guns as a rail shooter yeah, type of situation. <laughs> like, I get that they wanted the evil Sonic, but it's just so weird that he's got so many pistols. It's just so weird that they went, man, we need evil Sonic. So he's going to be Sonic, but he's black and red and he's fast. And they're like, man, that's not opposite enough. And he goes, and he's got guns. <laughs> the fuck is that like isn't Sonic technically supposed to be fast enough that if you shoot at him he could outrun the bullet so does yeah. that mean if Shadow's <laughs> running and shoot something that he's just gonna run past the bullet and might accidentally shoot himself in the back if he stops <laughs> anyway but yeah Sega's oh, been man. fucking up Sonic for decades at this point so it's it's not unheard of to fuck up a Sonic, you know. It would not surprise me if we just Sonic was a shitty movie. It'd kind of be more par for the course than anything. Um, yeah. Like, what, Sonic's relegated to what, being a character in Mario games now, that's all he does. Like, he's just running yeah, around Mario true. shit. Yeah, that's true. There hasn't really been, like, a great Sonic game the 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 last great Sonic game, honestly, was Sonic Mania, and the reason why is and why is it because they went back to two D and it was just straight up, you know, they redid a lot of the two D levels from the nineties and the old Sega Genesis, and it was kind of a two D homage to the old Sonic games, and that you know that had great reviews, people raved about it. Came out like 
a couple of years ago. But all these 3D ones, like Sonic Forces, I don't even know all the names. There's been so many. There are so many that I don't know the name of or never played. And there's a reason why I didn't play them. There was one. Because I was warned not to play them. There was one (laughs) they did where it's just essentially a racing game. You know, where it's just like, you know, those levels in Sonic where you go through the like the half pipe to get the coins and shit. They made like mm-hmm. some racing game that's kind of based on that style where you're behind Sonic and you're just running forward through an, like an obstacle course of shit. It went terrible, but it's also one of those games you like you play it for a little while and you're like, all right. All right, it's the same thing again. <laughs> and then you're just like, oh, I'm just never going to play this game again. So, yep, pretty much. But like, I remember the original Sonic 3D. That was fucking terrible. The <laughs> the one back when it was like the the it, what was that Genesis like add on thing was it was the it was the 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 Sega CD. They did yeah. Sonic 3D. Fuck that game sucks so bad. And what wasn't it like a overhead view? Yeah, and like it was like it, they said it was 3D. It was like 3D blast or something like that. And it was like the overhead. Sort of like a. It was about. It was 3D, three D, but it was like an overhead view, so it wasn't really three D. But they said as it was. 3D it was a Toe Jam and Earl game. Was, yeah, yeah. You know how like Toe Jam and Earl would do that weird camera angle, and it just made it almost three D because it was a diagonal camera angle. Yeah, yeah. That diagonal. was Sonic three D. Yep. It was just fucking terrible. Like the controls just didn't work. Like because you could technically move you know, the, the vertical horse, like vertical line across the screen and stuff. Cause they would just rotate the map and sh- it just, it was the worst fucking controls ever in a Sonic game. So it, it took Sonic, which is known for like being Mario, but fast, like a platformer that's more speed than the little technical things that Mario does. Mario yeah. does a lot of little technical things, but Sonic is just platforming, but you try to do it as quick as possible because if you slow down, you might fuck up and can't get through the platform because you're going too slow. Like, it's that type of thing. And they took fast gameplay and they made it just mind-numbingly slow. Like, there was no sense of speed to a Sonic game. And I'm like, that's how you know you fucked up when Sonic feels slow. Yeah. Cause he should never feel like that. That was the yeah. whole point. Is that it, he? That was the why he was like the antithesis to Mario. You know, he's supposed to be fast and have an attitude and a personality, and that was what made Sonic a, a legend. You know, he was kind of one of the first like characters like that that really just had all that personality. You know. But the speed was a compliment to that, you know? Yeah. And if you sat there, he would sit there, look at his watch, like, what the hell are we doing here? You know, he had animations where he would get impatient with you if you weren't controlling him, Yeah, you know? Like, that that's what made him cool, you know? Exactly. And so, like, the fact that they're able to take, essentially, just a dead and forgotten, just... Uh, franchise that is just like I said most famously video game wise is known as a character in Mario games like a guest character in Mario shit 
they were able to make two pretty solid movies out of it. And Godzilla, one of the most storied franchises in fucking cinema history, in comes out with that history. piece of fucking garbage. They fucked it twice in a row. Not only did they fuck up Godzilla King of the Monsters, they fucked up Godzilla versus Kong too. Like, so it's just one of those things that like, you, there's just no faith in that franchise. Honestly, I'm kind of looking forward to Sonic 3. Yeah. Whatever the next Godzilla movie is, I could give zero fucks. I've got no faith it's going to be anything. But Man. next Sonic, looking forward to it. Like, mark it down. I'll be there opening weekend. So, you know. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about those fucking people. So there's a wedding scene that gets oh. fucked up by Sonic. And then when Sonic shows up, like, I was fine with it up until that point when Sonic fucks it up. Because then they're like, oh, no, Sonic's going to get in a fight with the sister now. Nope. Everybody's federal agents. The wedding's a sham. And I was like, what? Yeah. (laughs) And I guess you could say I was surprised. Like, I guess the twist worked on me. I was surprised. And it's mainly I wasn't surprised because I was like, oh, man, that's great. I was surprised. Like. You're doing what? (laughs) this is the decision you're making this one I just uh, don't understand at all like I what was the point of any of that just so they could be there at the end to find nothing and then like it's like they did all that bullshit just so they could have that end credit scene when they're like, oh, we were digging through the archives and we found Project Shadow. And then, you know, Shadow's a thing. And I'm like, all right, that's dumb. That was a dumb little reveal. I'm fine with Shadow being the villain of the next movie, whatever. But like, just everything that led up to it with all the people stuff, I'm just like, fuck, this is terrible. Like, what did Shamar Moore come back and do? Yeah. Other than get tased and, and lie down on some ice. Like, and what was so weird about it was that, okay, you introduce them and it's like, okay, these are, you know, these are people, this is going to be her husband. She's, you know, she's marrying him. Rachel's going to marry him or whatever. And then when all that happens, you then have to also resolve it. Like they had to like introduce them that happened. Oh no, they're federal agents. And then we have to resolve that. Like all the, the, the wedding and the husband stuff, all that then had to be resolved. And they tried to say, oh, well, the re- that they, they had been trailing them, the whole, their family, the whole time because of Sonic and they suspected Sonic and trying to get Sonic. Okay. But did you need any of that to happen for them to do that? Why you could have just cut to the FBI. And we find out that they've been tracking Jason, them. I have a problem you with know, that, There's too. a hundred ways you could have done that. I have a problem with that, too. Just because it's not like the government doesn't know where the fuck Sonic is living. Yeah. He's living in the same goddamn house he was in in the first movie. And they knew he was there then, too. They know where yeah. the fuck he is. 
Why did they have to do all that shit to hope he fucks up the wedding? Like, what if he didn't get there? What if that didn't happen? Would Shamar Moore marry that woman and then just keep living as a married man until Sonic appears? Yeah, like, like that. that's why it just didn't make any sense, you know? And it's, yeah, like I said, they knew where he lived. They don't have to track anything. He's where he was. Like, <laughs> he's exactly where they know he is. Why are they tracking him through any other ways? Other than, I don't know, going to his house. Like, I just, I didn't understand any of that shit. And it yeah. just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Like. It was so long for just a bunch yeah. of nothing. Yeah. And maybe you could have gotten away with it if it was just somehow shorter. But that's the thing you had to like introduce it all you have to reveal them as the fbi then you have to resolve it with them too so it just felt like such an abandonment from everything it seemed like the movie was moving at a perfect pace before that and then when we had to stop and slow down and do all of that because we they had to they told that whole story in just one big clump and then and it just felt like the pacing and the momentum of the story just completely like went away with that. You know, it, it really did. And while I do agree that I think that this one ends better than the first one, it takes so much momentum away from the end of the movie. Yeah. Because the movie has to re-catch up to the pace. Like you said, it's going at a fantastic pace up until that scene. Yeah. The way they're they're pacing this movie is fantastic. It's it's going, it's not too fast to where it's just you know, endless things happening all the time, but it's just it, it's coasting. It's just cruising along. I mean, and it's like it's it's like a car on the highway and then it gets to that fucking scene like two thirds of the way. It's like you get like four flat tires all at once. And you have to sit there (laughs) and change all your tires and do all this bullshit. Wait on the tow truck, get towed, get the mechanic to put four tires on, and then you get back on the road. I'm like, you cut all that out. This would have just been textbook pacing movie. If they just cut all that shit out, like, and it, yeah, it's just a shame they did that. It, I honestly, if they hadn't have done that, I probably would have given this movie like an 83, 84, something like, you know, like low to mid eighties. It's just that's those scenes wreck it. Yeah. And like, even if it had just went up, to where Sonic comes, the snow and uh, all the avalanche comes through and everything, which was kind of cool how they all came through the ring and everything like that. Oh, also Sonic was snowboarding, which was badass because that's in the games too. But um, so all that happens and then the snow comes through and the wedding is ruined or something. Why couldn't you have just kind of done a, you know, why couldn't she have just got up out of the snow and been like, Sonic, you ruined my wedding. And then he'd be like, oh shit, well, sorry, gotta go. And then they just, you know, why couldn't it have been one of those? And then at the end, you know, 
Sonic could have, they could have talked it out or something. You know, there could have been a little scene at the end where everybody's loving, the family's loving on each other and maybe he says he's sorry. And Or or Sonic runs around and like gets her something from somewhere across the world or some shit. Like, yeah, there's something only something Sonic like can give her because of that or some shit like. Yeah. Or maybe at the end, there's you, you, you have a little wedding scene at the end. And maybe Sonic participates in the wedding, does something badass, and oh, makes something he, cool in the wedding. He actually can build the whole like little fucking wedding area super fast out of nowhere. And then yeah. they could have had Tails fly a plane with that sign that they had in the scene. Tails could have been uh, flying the plane. Yeah. Or Tails could have just See? been doing it himself. You know? Yeah. He could, yeah, he could have just been flying himself, you know? And Knuckles could have done something too, and and said something funny like, "Like I don't know why I'm participating in this, but okay." They could have, you know, just, and he could have done something too. They could have gone back to Hawaii. Knuckles could have punched a palm tree, got some coconuts, and he just punches them open, and everybody's drinking little fancy coconut drinks because, you know, Knuckles is just punching coconuts open. You there know? you go. And something like you know, it's just something like that. Like all of yeah. that would have been a nice little not necessarily necessary moment at the end, but just a nice little moment at the end that wouldn't have ruined the rest of the movie. Exactly. Just, it would have just been enough. You could have gave them some scenes that that would have given our people some scenes. Yeah. And yeah. And you could have had, they end up going back to the area or whatever. Like they're doing all that shit with Robotnik and they're fighting him. And maybe Shamar Moore's character is about to get stepped on and Sonic saves him. And that's why the the sister is like going to be accepting of him now because she he saved her fiance's life, you know. Yeah, something like that. Way better, way better. You know, like any number of little things. You could have had them doing the oh, you could have had them doing the fucking wedding like somewhere where they already lived, and but Sonic ruin it, and there be some issues, whatever. But at the end, he's like, hey, to make it up for you, they then take a ring portal to Hawaii. And he's like, I'm going to give you a Hawaii wedding. Oh, that would have been cool. That would have been cool. And we could have known he was an FBI agent like that. That could have just been a known thing like that could have just been his occupation. But when Sonic and the snow and all that comes through, then he's like, what the hell is this? He finds out about Robotnik. He makes a call. Now you have the army there facing, you have the FBI and the cops there facing Robotnik. Bam. You didn't need the whole plot twist thing. Exactly. Any of those things like, you know, yeah, it would have tied it up nicer. It wouldn't have been as jarring. You would have had a nicer little ending to the movie and you wouldn't have broke your fucking pacing. Yeah. Yeah. Because the ending would have been just a be funny some, little moment that we yeah. could have repaid. Sonic could have repaid later. Yeah. And, it, and yeah. it would have just been a nice little happy moment at the end, you know, to tie it back together. Yeah. You know, just to show that Sonic had learned lessons and he was trying to be like a better little member of the family, you know, like that type of thing. Yeah. You could have replaced the baseball scene with that. Not that yes. I have any problems with the baseball scene. That's a nice little callback to the first one in parts of this movie, but it still would have worked. 
Yeah. Yeah. Basically that base, that baseball scene could, would have just been the wedding scene. See, we fixed this movie and it would have, and they probably would, would have been cheaper on them too. Yeah. It, it Cause then you wouldn't have had to shot metal gear wives and all that stuff that happened. Like that was, <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have needed any of that shit. The, none of it was necessary, you know, like just yeah. any number of little things. They could have just tied it together nicer like that. And you, like I said, you wouldn't have ruined the pacing, which I think is to me the, the worst thing about those scenes. It ruins the pacing. And then by the time you get to the end of the movie, you don't know why. You're like, why did yeah. you ruin the pacing of this movie? Yeah. Because it doesn't come back. Yeah. None of any of that comes back. It does not tie together at all. It just ruins it and then just leaves because it ruined it. Yeah. Yeah. So true. It's like that one friend from high school, that, like that kid you used to know in high school, that you were friendly towards him, but he always annoyed you. And then you run across him in like Walmart. And he just wants to stand there and talk. And you're like, man, just let me get my groceries and go. And he yeah. just wants to catch <laughs> yeah. up. Oh, my God. You don't know how many times that has happened to me, bro. Like, yeah, that like, happens to you infinitely more than it does to me because I don't, you know, live anywhere near where I went to high school. So I don't ever accidentally run into people. But yeah, no, I bet it happens to you just all the time. Yeah, it does. And they want to talk and I'm like, or it's even weirder sometimes when, like you said, just, and then some people, you know that y'all really weren't friends. Y'all didn't interact like that. You know, y'all were cool, but like you had dude, like you were a not class my together where you did a group project once. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just and like, man, what is like talking to? to you? Like, oh man, you know, I got a lot to talk to you about. And I'm like, dude, we weren't even like close like that. Like, dude, we're not even Facebook friends. Why do you think you need to tell me about your yeah, life? Like, <laughs> like, no, I get it. Like, it's just I had that when I used to work at the at the DPS doing driver's licenses uh, back in Midland before I left. Like, you know, there'd be just somebody, you know, coming in to get their driver's license done. And we knew each other in high school. Like, you know, you knew of each other, whatever. And they're like, they just feel that weird need to be like act like you were friends in high school and you're like bitch you don't know me I don't know yeah. you we can just acknowledge we went to high school together and leave it at that you're not going to offend me if you don't talk to me like I'm the one of the least personable people out there I don't get offended if we knew each other or knew of each other and you don't want to talk to me that's a fair response to me <laughs> I'm like eh, that's fine I don't yeah. care yeah, it is not going to hurt my feelings either way, you know, and and it's just funny that but it's so true. Like some people just have this need to just make it something it wasn't. And you're just like. Well, what are you talking about? It's really awkward sometimes. Well, and it's like. I won't go into the specifics of it, but there was a debate going on on one of your Facebook posts once. And I know this this one guy was like you know, taking the opposite point that most of us were talking about. And he was like, you know, Justin knows me. I'm not racist. So, you know, just gather whatever information you want from that. And I remember talking to you at one point afterwards and you're like, we wrestled together once at a show. I don't know this man. <laughs> like, 
yeah, like, <laughs> what do you mean I know you? <laughs> like, you're just like, I don't know who the fuck he is, really. We, you know, we wrestled together once. Like, we were in the same locker room, essentially, once. Yeah. It's that type of situation. And sadly, though, that that, that whole thing is exactly what that fucking scene feels like. That chunk of the movie feels like that. You're like, I, you know, I think that you think that for the adults watching this movie, if there's not enough people in it, adults aren't going to like it. Adults are watching this because they fucking like Sonic. Yeah. There are probably adults dragging their kids to this movie. (laughs) Not the other way around. You know, maybe there is a Sonic cartoon going on right now. I don't, I don't know, but I don't, I just don't think that Sonic's one of those properties until the first movie came out, at least that like kids were going, fuck, I want to watch some Sonic shit. Yeah. It wasn't the kids asking to change his character design. I know that much. Yeah. That wasn't a children response. Yeah. They wouldn't have given a damn. Yeah, like if you were an adult in that movie, it's because you wanted to see Sonic. Yeah, <laughs> you give zero fucks about anything else. Like, yeah, and I and I like James Marsden. I think he's a fine actor, not great, but he's fine. I I have no problem seeing him in the credits of something. And he's good in this. He's fine. I like yeah. his dynamic with Sonic. You know, and I think that's what made the first movie so heartfelt was the time. They spent together that bond that really helped to elevate the first movie, you you, know, and you could have kept elements of that. You just didn't have to give him as much screen time in a dumb way in the middle of the movie. Yeah, exactly. You know, because that was like a fine little scene at one point whenever he's like just worried about Sonic. So he calls Sonic, you know, like things like that. That's a fine little scene. Fine with that. But then, like, when it's followed up by, like, Shamar Moore being like, oh, you're the guy my fiance hates, blah, blah, blah. I'm just messing with you. But she does hate you. I'm like, okay. It's a whatever scene, I guess. Like, I didn't need any of that. Yeah. And then it just just kept going. (laughs) Like, I mean, you just got to understand what I mean by that scene was long. Like, you're sitting there watching it. And you're like, okay, at any minute now, this is going to end. And we're going to get back to Robotnik and Knuckles and Sonic and Tails. And it doesn't go away. And then you're like, okay, another scene with them. Okay. She's mad. Okay. This is happening. Okay. Now they're like, they're going to team up and infiltrate. I'm like, I like okay. To, I like that uh, you call them Metal and Gear you just Wives. keep expecting it to cut away from this. And it does not like it stays with this. It faithfully. It's what? 20 minutes, 20, 25 yeah. minutes of the movie. Is that all at once? Yeah. All at once. Like it, it just obligatory. Like it stays there. You know, it's like you said, the car breaks down and you are stuck at the auto shop. Like it, it, it you stay there. You have to stay there. This is like when your parents used to take you on those errand trips and it's just boring places and you just got to be there. You think, as she says, you know, your mom or dad says, oh, it'll be quick. And it winds up being an hour. And you're like, I didn't bring anything to do. I don't, I don't even have, I don't even have my school stuff 
to take my mind off this. I'm just stuck here, you know? Yeah, you're going That's like what to, it felt like. You're going to the bank and then you got to go like write a check and go drop it off somewhere and like, you know, then you got to go to her friend's house and it's never the friend that's got a kid your age that you can go talk to. It's the friend that doesn't have any other family and it's like, oh, she's going to be real quick yep. and you're just sitting there and they've got the boring house of nothingness. Yep. And you just got to sit there and wait and you can't act bored because then, you know, if you do, you're going to get hit when you get home because you yep. acted bored and embarrassed your parents in the front of their friends. And you're just like, fuck. Yep. And yeah. and you know, and then it gets to a point to where you just dread that trip after you've experienced it a few times. And then whenever they say, oh, we're going to that person's house, you're like, damn it. And you already know, like you already know you are stuck and there's no way out. And, and this scene, that's how it was. It just would not go away. It would not cut to anything else, Sterling. It was relentless. Yeah. And like, and I think maybe that's why it felt worse than it even was. It was just relentless. <laughs> like at a certain point, you just realize that they're not going to cut away from this shit and go back to the movie and then just come back and resolve it later. At a certain point, you just realize, oh, we're doing all of this now. Yeah. <laughs> just all of it now. All of it now that's how it was that's how it was and it it cuts it cuts to robotnik and 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 knuckles finding the layer of the crystal a little bit a few times it cuts like towards the end of that scene it starts cutting back to that but you always feel like for every five minutes of bullshit human stuff in hawaii you got like 30 seconds of robotnik and knuckles and then you're just like (laughs) oh god Like, I do have one problem, though, with that part of the movie outside of the human shit. So Robotnik and Knuckles are going through that maze, right, of all the traps to get to the crystal. When Sonic shows up, he's at the top of the thing. And then he starts going through the maze. It shows that you actually could have just walked on top of the maze past all the traps very easily. You could have just walked on top of the maze area. And got through all the traps and then got down to the crystal. You didn't have to actually go through the maze. You could have just walked on top of the walls. Yeah, it totally looked like you could have just been on top of it. I saw that too when they did that uh, aerial view. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it did look like you could have just went on top. I almost just wish that that's what Sonic did, you know, and he could have just ran up on top of it and been like, yeah, y'all did this shit the hard way, which he kind of did. He kind of talked shit to them when he was like, y'all did it the long way, huh? But he should have just ran on top of that bitch because it totally well, looked like he could have. Also, why didn't Robotnik and Knuckles just use machines to float past all the shit too? Like, you could have just yeah. floated over the whole thing. Yeah, that's true. He could have just had his machines. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they totally could have. The way that it looked, it looked like, yes, you could have just easily floated over it all. Yeah. Yeah. It totally looked like that. And I mean, Robotnik has plenty of flying machines, though it was a cool scene of them going through all the traps. I liked how 
Robotnik's all running and his robots are doing stuff for him and Knuckles is badass punching his way through it and ducking and dodging and Robotnik is like, his robots are protecting him. I thought that was a neat contrast. No, like, was. just showing the resourcefulness of the characters, you know, kind of showing why Robotnik is tight too, you know, well, in his it, own way. And it would have worked if it wasn't a maze that was in an open cave. If it was like a temple, and so like you had the ceiling, so you were forced to go through the maze. Mm-hmm. I agree with you 100%. It works like that. Because I liked what they were, like I said, I liked the dynamics and what they showed of them going through it. That was nice. But the problem was, is it was a gigantic ass cave that had like a hundred feet above the maze, just open. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so so why not fly over that shit? Yeah. Also, another video game Easter egg that was cool about that when Sonic first enters that temple. They do this wide shot where it's you're, you're where you're seeing him sort of fall in through the temple or whatever. And when he's falling uncontrollably down those little water slide looking shafts and there's water on him and he's like, ah, and he's like sliding down each of them. And he winds up kind of in that stationary point where the camera view changes and now he's there and he's got to dodge traps and stuff. That initial opening was straight off the video game. Like, like that level um, in the in the first Sonic, the Labyrinth Zone, I think is what it's called. It's kind of like a underground, like underwater temple, and it's got arrow traps and stuff, and, and the little water shoots and stuff. And that was totally off the game. So I popped for that big time. That's fair. And even the animation he was doing, the sliding with the hands up like that, that was a video game animation. So I thought that was hella cool. Yeah, that's fair. I didn't, I don't remember the games that much. So yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but I, it's gamer shit. Oh, the name of the cat, the name of the uh, cafe where his assistant was the mean, mean bean. bean cafe. Uh, there's a puzzle game called Dr. Robotnik's mean bean machine. That's why. Oh, there you go. The cafe was the mean bean. And Oh, and whenever he said, you know, I've been checking all this stuff in the manual or whatever. The manual looked like a Sega Genesis uh, manual. Yes, I did recognize so that. that. Cool. Yes. Like the little booklet that would come with the games. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and the big Dr. Robotnik robot mech at the end is the actual final boss of the Sonic 2 video game. Yeah. So that was cool, too. It kind of looked like Hulkbuster, but yeah, no, that's the that that mech is from the second Sonic game, so that was tight too. Yeah, no, that's cool. I, well, one scene at the end that I did like though is I liked whenever he was supersonic, and they were like, "Oh, is he the same Sonic?" And then he magically summons a chili dog. I did chuckle a little bit at that. I thought that that was a funny way of going. And then the, right after they're like, "Yep, that's Sonic." Like, I thought that was a funny little way to do it. Like, they're like, oh, no, is he the same as he was? Chili dog. And they're like, yeah, it's him. (laughs) That was tight. It was just just like a funny little scene. Just like, you know. Just like a nice little in movie universe way of doing it. Yeah. You know. 
Yeah. Um, and and that's why, and I think that's another reason why these movies succeed more than they fail. It's just the writing like that. Like there are just some parts where, you know, the writing just takes care of the characters and does some funny stuff. Like, like the whole winter soldier thing, you know, that they're doing this whole thing about him trying to be this hero and stuff like that. And it, you know, and it was kind of funny that he called knuckles the winter soldier or whatever in that scene. But what was also cool about it, it was kind of foreshadowing because when Knuckles pulled him out of the water, it was like the Winter Soldier movie. You know, Bucky did that for Cab. So they sort of told a joke, but foreshadowed it at the same time. So that was cool, too, you know. Just little yeah. shit like that. And I, and I liked the way at the end when they were, I mean, as much as we were talking about, you could get rid of the baseball scene for like doing wedding shit. That baseball little scene was nice because it was a callback to how, you know, Tails had found Sonic and all this shit from the first movie. And I liked the whole little thing of when they were doing that. And he's like, just hit the ball and Knuckles goes, oh, OK. And then just punches the ball 90 million miles away. Just says, oh, OK, I'm supposed to just hit it. Hits it. And they're like, well, yeah. that was the only one we had. So... <laughs> Yeah. And Knuckles was just great in this, like uh, him not understanding um, all of the, you know, American customs and stuff was great. And just when he would say something and everybody would just be like, uh, what I, I can't, you know, Sonic would just be like, I can't with this guy. Like it was just there were just a lot of funny scenes, just situational comedy oh. that they were able to do with him that just really enhanced the movie a lot when he was in scenes One of with my, any character, Robotnik 2. My favorite Knuckles scene in that movie though was uh, outside of his intro at the house was at the end of that whole sequence like I said, when you said when he catches himself on the wall and he starts climbing up and then Robotnik's like talking shit to him and all this shit and all those like robots start forming around knuckles and he's like, all right, we're going to fight. And he's like, Oh, there's stairs. Yeah, that was great. Oh, you think I can't take all of these little minions of yours? I will crush. Oh, there's stairs. It was just like a funny little scene. Just like he just, he's all pumping himself up. All right. Like, let's go. Oh, stairs. Okay. That's fine too. (laughs) Like, and Idris Elba just man he did such a great job man like I think those scenes were funnier because of just his ability to voice act the character so well you know what I mean like he really was gold like his voice was just perfect like for all the situations so yeah yeah it it just like his like deep voice and everything like that just added a real like I don't want to say tough quality to Knuckles, but like just a really strong quality to Knuckles. Yeah. You know, and like Ben Schwartz does fantastic as Sonic because he's very frantic with it, you know, all over the place and stuff like that. And it very much fits Sonic. But like I, I loved that contrast of just Idris Elbow just being 
and not stoic, but just more grounded with how he did that stuff. Yeah. And to be able to capture all those dynamics effectively and kind of show why these characters are so beloved, like and, and tales too, you know, like all the stuff with Sonic and tails and their, and their friendship and everything like that. And kind of why they relate to each other so much. And tails was like, you know, you were just, I, I looked at you and you seemed to be just like me. You were stuck in this place and you were different and blah, blah, blah. You know, like they just really, and that's what I mean by like, this had to be written by people who are fans of these characters because they just had a way of just capturing all those dynamics well with, without it seeming just so forced or stupid or, oh, they're becoming friends because it needs to happen or it's supposed to happen. Like, we all know that, but it's all about execution. And they just, I mean, they just executed all those scenes so well, which is funny that the CGI animals, we executed those bonded scenes great. And then when it came to the humans, we just, uh, something happened. It was like a different crew wrote that scene. (laughs) But... You know, I digress. Well, we've talked about the human stuff enough. But yeah, I was just also just impressed with that, just how well they developed that trio. So by the time you get to the end and they all have to team up and they're all running uh, all three of them together against Dr. Robotnik, it, it was a scene out of a game. You know, it was like playing Sonic Heroes all over again where you got your three man team and you, you, you know, you got to go against Robotnik like all of it felt so right because of all of the right decisions they made with those characters at the end so that payoff just it just all seemed right uh, at the end and whatnot. no I, I, I definitely agree with all that um, we do need to move on we have a whole other movie to yeah, we talk do. about <laughs> alright so everything everywhere all at once. I had to read that because I was going to fuck it up again if I didn't. Um, I'll go ahead and I'll start this one. Um, spoiler free on Ooh. this one. I think that this is the most surprising movie I've seen this year. And probably the best. Like movie I've seen this year. I'm trying to think back. I'm like, this might be my favorite movie I've seen this year so far. Like everything about this movie was just a nice, pleasant surprise. You know, like you you have Michelle Yeoh. She was fantastic in this. Oh, I loved Michelle yeah. Yeoh in this. And it's, I say that like, it's surprising that Michelle Yeoh just isn't grade A amazing and everything she does. It's, it's par for the course for her, but this was a different role than I've seen her in. And it was just a really fantastic thing to watch. Um, her daughter in this was uh, Stephanie Sue. Oh, she was fantastic too. Yeah. She um, was great. Oh, I'm going to, I think it's Kihui Kwan. Um, short round from Indiana Jones temple of the doom. Uh, he was fucking fantastic too in this. And like, I didn't realize he's been out of movies kind of for a very long time. Like, 
he kind of he I, I I saw an interview with him and he was talking about like he got cast a short round and he just kind of accidentally fell into that like and you know and he was talking about how it was really amazing because like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas just wanted to have an Asian character be a main character in this movie and he did that and then right after that he followed it up being what's his name data in the goonies and it was the mm-hmm. same thing he was just a part of the the crew nobody like made a you know he was just an asian kid being just you know a part of everything else just like everybody else and that wasn't a common thing back then and then he was like and then he was like a, the work just disappeared kind of <laughs> like you know he's like i looked into those two movies and then it just kind of everybody went away you know and and I found out he's been in he's been a, he's done a ton of work behind the scenes. He was like a fight coordinator in one of the X Men, the first X Men movie. He was a fight yeah. coordinator for that. He uh, was a production assistant for Jet Li's The One. Like he's been doing some behind the scenes stuff and all this stuff. But I mean, he comes into this movie and he's just fantastic. And you're like, what the fuck is wrong with you, Hollywood? Where the what, why'd you let this fucking guy go to waste? He's great. Yeah. He was doing action. I didn't action. Even realize that was the same guy. Yeah. I didn't know that, that he was the boy from the good. I didn't know not yeah. know that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, and I've known him almost my whole life because he was fucking short round in Indiana Jones. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I yeah. watched Indiana Jones hella young as a kid. Indiana Jones has been a part of my life the entirety of my life. You know, like, and didn't realize that like he just disappeared and you watch this movie and you're like, why the fuck aren't people using him? He can do action. He could do the dramatic moments. He could do the comedic moments. He was just fucking fantastic in every aspect they asked him to do in this movie. And I'm like, why aren't you using him? Hollywood. This better get him at least 27 fucking roles in the next year. He better just not have a break for the next two years because he's acting so much because they need to make it up to this man for letting him go to waste. Yeah, he was fantastic in this. Like, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis, too. Fucking fantastic. There's not just a single character in this movie that's wasted. Everyone is fantastic in this movie. Uh, What's her name? Jenny Slate just playing a girl with a dog in a couple of scenes, you know, fantastic. Just like it just, this movie was filled with fantastic actors and fantastic characters. And this utterly insane and crazy and confusing, like deep sci-fi plot. Yeah. That, and a multiverse plot. Yeah. At that, it went one movie. Like we're over here. And Marvel is 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 ta- it's taking twenty some movies and <laughs> series and hell of multiple movies to tell to do this multiverse storyline, and then you have this storyline that's about a multiverse, and it's one movie, and it's crazy how excellently crafted it is. But like you said. It's also kind of it's confusing and crazy, but it's also expertly crafted 
by the time you get to the end of it, you're just like, damn, this was, I saw something. You really do walk out going, I saw something special. Like, I want to watch it again just because I know there are things that I missed. Like, I know that there are things that I, I know if I go back and watch it again, I'll appreciate it even more. It's that kind of movie. And and I know on this podcast I've said before, I don't like movies or I'm 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 critical of movies that you have to get multiple rewatches to get what's going on. I came out of this movie still slightly confused about how it all worked. But I wasn't confused to the point to where I felt like I missed something. You know what I mean? Or like the movie, you felt confused because the movie didn't do its job. Yeah. Like, I feel like they crafted it. And by the time I finally grasped what was going on, maybe there's some other things that would click differently on a rewatch. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Because it is a little jarring with how they do it, but it's a fun way of jarring. I think that also the reason why it works is because you're just as confused as the main character of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. That helps. And so you don't feel lost. You know, you feel actually more tied to the movie because you are emotionally and mentally in the same place as the main character. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. You know, so it it ties you in like that. It pulls you in like that, you know, and then on top of that, it's got some of the most gloriously absurd scenes you will ever see in a movie. And they honestly, some of them are scenes that I'd never in my wildest dreams could have thought would have been in a movie. Yeah. And they work so beautifully in this movie because they are equal parts jarring and funny and unique and also well made and bold and brave and courageous in in a lot of ways too because this movie is the definition of we are just going to go for it. Like, oh, yeah, this movie and, fucking went for it. And by like, the end of the and movie, not a lot of movies do that. And you by know? the end of the movie, weren't you just sitting there going, I'm fucking glad I watched this? Yeah. Like, do you know how long? I mean, I could tell you the last time I was like, I'm fucking glad I watched this. That was in Kanto. It was the last time I just truly got out of a movie and was like, I am fucking glad I watched this. But like this was like just such a great day at the movies for me because I watched Sonic and then this back to back. Literally, there was 15 minutes of free time between the movies and I'm including the trailers. So like by the time I got out of Sonic. The trailers had already started in this movie, but I had 15 minutes of trailers running. You know, I used the restroom, refilled my soda, smoked a cigarette and went into this movie finished the last trailer we went you know and this was the first time in a long time i've done multiple movies in a day where a i didn't fucking hate my life afterwards (laughs) because i either 
start with a great movie and then end with a bad one or it starts with a bad movie and then I watch a good one, but I still started with a bad movie. So it kind of like, uh, or like, I'm so glad I haven't done three movies in a day lately because that was always the biggest crapshoot. Because like, oh, man. you could do those where I'm doing three movies back to back, like literally, you know, just one after another. And I did. There was one day I started, and I started I think with Rocket Man, and it's fantastic. I was like, today's gonna be a good day. And then I watched two other movies, and I was like, fuck my life today sucks. <laughs> you know. Like, and then there was one day I, wa- I had to watch three movies. I think I started with Aladdin, which was better than I expected. I re- ended up really kind of enjoying that movie. But then I think the middle movie was Brightburn or something. And I was completely disappointed and kind of disillusioned with life because I'm like, oh, God. And then I think I ended it with Booksmart. So then I ended up back up on an upswing and I was like, OK. But it was just it was a roller coaster of a day. I was just, I like I started like at a surprising high level. I went in into Aladdin expecting to hate it, ended up having a, just a good time, and then went into a movie I was excited to see, was bored and just fucking hating every second of it, and then ended with Booksmart and was like, okay, like at least I ended up, but like it's been such a crapshoot with multiple movies, and just it just was a great, great thing where I like I watched Sonic and I'm like, all right, it was fine, it was good, you know. I'm I'm not disappointed in in any way, shape, or form, really. Like I know I hated those sections that we just talked about, but like ultimately it was fine, you know. I was like, all right, that's a good start. And then this went into this, and it was just greatness at the end of it. Like I felt rejuvenated. I was like, it's been so long since I went to a theater and genuinely watched a movie that I was just like, I'm so glad I watched that. Like and it, it was so refreshing because like you said, Justin, they went, fuck it. We're making this movie. I don't. And like, honestly, I hope this movie makes so much fucking money, at least enough money to where it's considered a success because Hollywood needs to make more movies like this. Like, yeah, this movie actually kind of like reinvigorated me a little bit because I'm like, this is why I love movies. Like, this is what I love going to the theater and watching is shit like this. Yeah, it really is that kind of film. And you just got the feeling like when it ended, I was like, wow, I you you just couldn't escape the feeling that you saw something special like that. That was sort of the feeling that I walked out with. I was like, man, dude, that was just unlike anything, you know, like when Michelle, yo, when I saw that she was the main, that she was the lead in this and everything, I felt like I knew what I was walking into and then what it wound up being, what it, what it was and just how it utilized everybody and just the way that it comes off and the story that it tells is even with all that sci-fi stuff, all of that at its heart, it's a very powerful story too about bonds and relationships and just the how meaningful those things are and stuff like that and the, the family and a friendship and all that stuff all of that stuff is in here too it's it's not just that it's expertly crafted it's not just that 
It was a great sci-fi movie. It's not just that it has good martial arts because you've got somebody like Michelle Yeoh in it. It's not even that. It's got a lot of heart as well. So it just checked every box, you know, every proverbial box. It just sort of checked them all. And it was bold and brave and out of this world and crazy, too. It was all of those things. And I think maybe that's why... I didn't feel bad coming out of this movie a little bit confused, maybe because well, it has some of the most bonkers, crazy sci-fi shit you'll see in a movie. The idea it plays with string theory and multiple universes and multiple versions of yourself and all this stuff. Yeah, it gets really deep into some of that shit, but ultimately that's not what the movie's about. The movie's about all those things you said. And it does such a good job of interweaving all of those aspects that even if the sci-fi shit confuses the fuck out of you, the rest of the movie won't. Yeah. You're still going to get every bit of those parts you talked about, Justin, which is the base layer foundation of what this movie's about. And... I mean, and I get what you're saying too. With you, like you're thinking Michelle Yeoh, you're thinking of like a specific movie type. What, uh, honestly, you're thinking slightly more of a prestigious type of film, you know? Yeah. And this might be a spoiler, but it's it's such a random scene; it doesn't really spoil anything. Just to kind of give you an example of some of the things that are in this movie before we get to spoilers, you get to see somebody beat down with two dildos. <laughs> yeah. That's the type of shit you get in this movie. That, and that's the scene scratching makes the sense, surface. people. The scene makes yes. perfect sense. Yeah. It, and there are some things that happen during that scene that if I were to explain them right now and say what these fighters are trying to do in this scene to gain said advantage in the dildo fight, if I were to just explain it with no context, you would be like, what the hell are they talking about? What the hell kind of movie is this? But trust me, it all makes sense in this crazy sort of way. It fits the premise. It fits what's happening. I think the funny (laughs) thing is, is if we just started talking about scenes in this movie, it's going to sound like we're talking about like another version of Prisoners of Ghostland. Yeah, because the scenes are all over the place. But this movie actually ties them together. Genius, like on some like epic genius level shit. And. And I think that that's the great thing about this movie, because you can't spoil it because you could just talk about some shit and it's never going to make sense until you watch it. Yeah, I could just start saying individual scenes of this movie none of it will make sense to you unless you watch it. But if you watch it, all of these crazy bonkers out of their goddamn mind scenes, we're going to talk about in a little bit when we get to spoilers make perfect fucking sense in the context of this movie. Like, and just, and like you said, Justin, like, fuck, there is so much heart in this movie. So much emotion. Like every bonkers, crazy bullshit scene is fundamentally grounded 
an emotion. Like you don't realize it when you first start seeing some of it. But as the story progresses, you realize what everything is tied to. And it enhances everything you see in this movie. And I just, like I said, I genuinely like am just in a way thankful that they fucking made this movie. And that I I just took a chance and saw it in the theater. Because I have just zero regrets with anything I experienced during that time frame. And I'm happy to say my theater was pretty much sold out. Now, it was a very small theater. It was like one of the smaller theaters they have. So it's only like 30, 40 seats. Every single one of them were full, though. And I was glad to see that. So what are, what are, what are some more things you have before we get into other stuff? Um, No, I mean, I just, uh, I, yeah, I agree with all that. And there were quite a few people in the theater that I went to, too, as well. So. It was, it was nice to see that. And sometimes when a movie, because this movie is like critically acclaimed, like, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Like it's got high scores galore. Just about everywhere you look, this movie is scoring high. I saw it floating around on my timeline and I there were all these comments like, Oh, it's, it's just innovative. It's, it's out of this world, fun and amazing movie, all this stuff. The Michelle Yeoh de- delivers a performance of a lifetime. And, you know, sometimes you hear all that stuff, you see all that stuff. And sometimes you kind of put you, co- you go into a movie like this with your guard up, kind of like, eh, I don't know. They're talking really good about it. I don't want to be disappointed. You know, sometimes though you all that noise sets you up. Sometimes you just feel like you're going to walk into it and not think it's as good as what everybody's saying. But I'm here to tell you, bro, like this movie, it, it, all the acclaim that it's getting is deserved. All of the hype that people have about it is deserved. And I think I may have to agree. I think that this is the best movie I've seen Michelle Yeoh in. I, I think this is her best movie. I think it is. It might just be. I think, I mean, I, I think it is. Definitely from an acting perspective. And this woman did Crouching Tiger. Like, I mean, you know, this woman has done some great movies, but this might be her best one. This this might be her best work. Like, well, because she is more central than in Crouching Tiger. Yeah. Like, definitely. Yeah. I mean, she's yeah. she's on the screen in what ninety six percent of the scenes in this movie. Yeah, and she carries. She really movie. has to carry it, you know. And yeah. not only is she playing herself, but she's also playing all these other versions of herself. You know, there's all these other things that have to you have to take into account, and she just does it so incredibly well, like. I mean, dare I say, I mean, I knew Michelle Yeoh was talented, but I didn't know she was this talented. You know, a lot of these people, I didn't realize they had this level of talent. Like, I knew she was talented, but, 
You know, if I read this script, would I have casted her for this? You know, I don't know if I would have given the movies I've seen her in. And that's not a testament to her or anything. That's just maybe that just says something more about me than her. But I think the point I'm trying to make is, is that I don't think a movie has that I've seen has asked her to do this much. To have this much range to use all of her talent, whether it be martial arts and her acting ability. I just don't know if a movie has asked this much of her and she delivers with such flying colors that I thought I had seen the best of her. And then I saw this and I'm well, like, well, and also damn, the ridiculousness you know? too. Cause yeah. there are some things that she does that she commits 100% to that. I don't know. Even if I was a writer and director of this movie, I don't know if I'd ever be comfortable to ask somebody to do the ridiculous shit that's in this movie. Like, yeah. how do you, how do you walk up to Michelle? Yo, and this is also not going to make any sense, but whatever. And go, Hey, your lover has hot dog fingers and she's going to put them in your mouth. How do you walk <laughs> up to Michelle? Yo, and ask her to do that. Yeah. Like, and I think that's the, the point I was making too. Like some of the stuff in this movie and just the way that it is. And just some of these dynamics, like you're talking about hot dog fingers, Michelle, yo, like, these are things I would have never just pictured her doing. Like, like these exactly. are things that I would have never. And and that's not saying that I and, and I'm not saying that, like, I have a lack of respect for her talent and ability. I think I have such a respect for her. I just would not picture this as her a role for her. I would picture something more. I don't know if prestigious is the word. I don't know if prideful is the word i don't know if el- more elegant i Almost don't know what serious. word i'm searching for just more serious yeah. you know yeah. yeah 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 that that that's the word i just wouldn't have thought that this would be something she would even be interested in doing just with some of the stuff that's in here but man she she absolutely destroys it and so now i'm kind of like what can't she do like, this is the kind of movie where you walk out after this performance and you go, what can't she do? No, and that's absolutely fair. And I, I just, I, I also love that this movie kind of makes it feel like a club. And, I, and I, I say that, and I don't mean it like an exclusive kind of way. No, because I think everybody should see this movie. But I like the fact that I could just say hot dog fingers, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you haven't seen this movie, that sounds like I'm making up words and sentences. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's like a special little code that people that saw this movie just know and get. And like I said, I want everybody to see it, though. I want everyone in the world to know whenever I say hot dog fingers, what I am talking about. Because I feel like you're missing out on something special if you don't know what hot dog fingers means. Like, yeah. You know, and and I think that that's the fantastic thing about this movie is I could say that and it's technically a spoiler for like a, you know, specific scenes in this movie, but it makes such goddamn nonsense that it doesn't matter. I'm not actually spoiling a damn thing by saying it because it just, it, you just, you don't know yet if you haven't seen it. 
Um, let's go recommendations and scores. Yeah. Recommendations and score. I'll go first again in this. Yes, watch it. Yes. Like I said, it's like the best I've felt coming out of a movie in a long time. Like, and it's just one of those movies. If you say you love movies, you have to watch this movie. You have to. Because you have never seen a movie like this. Never. You've never seen a movie like this. I don't know when the next time anything could even come close to being a movie like this. It's a special, unique movie. Like, you know, you can say whatever about a lot of other movies. Like, you know, we might have disagreed on like Power of the Dog. But there's a bunch of movies like Power of the Dog. You know, there's there. I I cannot think of another movie to compare this to at all like it is just so unique and so special and so different that you just you have to watch it to understand what what the hype is and i think and that's why i agree with you the hype is justified because you can't really have expectations for this movie because you know we can talk about it and hype it up all we want you're not going to really expect what's still coming for you, though. You know, it's going to surprise you. It's going to hit you out of nowhere. And it's it's just such a fun fucking ride. It really is like it's just. A great fucking time and especially like see it in theaters before it goes out. And it's not because it's a movie that can only be watched for that theatrical experience. No, it's just, it's the type of movie you want to see in a movie theater. Like, in a lot of ways, this movie kind of reminded me of, like, a sense of movie magic or kind of like watching fucking Jurassic Park in the movies for the first time. Like, it it has that type of specialness to me because, like, it was such a visual treat when you saw fucking Jurassic Park and you saw the dinosaurs on the screen and you saw the fucking dinosaur puppets and you saw the computer-generated ones. And all of that just still holds up better than just everything. I don't know how the fuck they did that back then, but yeah, it's, it's, it's movie magic. Like Jurassic park is movie magic. And so is this like, it really is. It's just that special movie that like, I, like I said, it reinvigorated me for fucking movie theaters. Like, I'm just like, fuck. Yeah. Like this is the type of shit that movie theaters were made for. It really was. Um, honestly, I hate to do this, but no, I'm giving this movie a hundred. I am. I really enjoyed it. Wow. I'm giving it a hundred. It is 100. An old man walked out, I think before the end of the movie, because there's kind of a fake out with some movie credits out of a hundred. <laughs> that's I'll, great i'll get more into that story that, that, in the spoilers but yes i think a guy left at that part and i was like oh no the movie's not over dude and he never came back <laughs> oh man oh man the credit scene that's great yeah, that's great it was it was funny i was laughing it was great that's that that's pretty tight well nobody did that in my theater um but there was a lot of laughing and ooh and an on and what, huh? There, there was, I pretty much heard every sound <laughs> a person, I think, can, every reaction a person could have. I think I heard it 
during this movie. And the amalgamation of those reactions and sounds almost speaks to the amalgamation that is this movie. Because like we said, one, you know, we just mentioned dildo fighting and hot dog fingers, you know, as random as those two things are, you know, this is like if somebody read you the ingredients of this, of this dish and they say, you know, I mixed all these things together and I made a, you know, a casserole or whatever this is. And I want you to taste it. And you're looking at this and all they gave you was just what's in it. And so you're reading all these ingredients and things and you're like, no way that this is going to taste good at all. What am I about to eat? And then you try a piece and it's like one of the best things you've ever tasted. That That's kind of what this is. Like the, the mixture of things that we're about to talk about, the things that this movie mixes together, the concepts that it mixes together just should not go together. Like it just shouldn't. Like the things and the concepts and all of the silly, crazy, funny things that happen in it, it doesn't seem like this is anything that could work. And it just does. Like everything works. Well, like we've said, I won't even spend that much time on it. It's it's worth the hype. This is definitely one of the best movies I've seen. I, I agree with you on that. It is one of the best movies I've seen this year. And it deserves to be seen. And I hope that word of mouth, I hope that more people do go see it. And as the um, the word of mouth grows about this, I hope that it does have some staying power in the theater. Um, and I'm telling you now, I'm already planning on seeing it a second time. You know, it, it's that good. It was very good. You know, whatever you're into, sci-fi, martial arts, if you like the Marvel movie stuff, well, they're doing multiverse stuff. This has some of that stuff in there. It has multiverse stuff in there. It's got martial arts in here. It's got all these other crazy things in here. And it's got relatable heart and everything like that. It just comes together so nicely. So, yeah, it's it's good, man. It's it's a really good movie. Um, I won't go as high as you, but I, but I am going pretty high. The highest score I've given a movie thus far. We're going to go with... Uh, we're going to go with 95 and we'll just go, we'll just say hot dog fingers in mouths <laughs> in, in a loving, caring sort of way out of a hundred. So just to continue that story, there is a scene in this movie where a movie technically ends inside the movie but they play the credits like it's the movie itself, but it slowly pans back. And this was an older gentleman, like an old man with a cane, like, like, like you could hear his cane, you know, cause it was like a really rickety cane. So you could hear this guy walking. And so you just see this man, cause he was also up in the handicap seats and you could just see this man get up and his little cane walk. And he just kept walking, walking. And then he left. And he never came back. I'm just like, damn. That poor man. And I bet he went and told somebody, man, that was some bullshit. The movie (laughs) ends just in such a weird way. (laughs) And all these people sat around like they expected more. Like the movie ended. There was credits. 
And I'm like, it's just, it was so weird to see this man get up and never come back. And I'm like, damn, you missed the, like the last act of the movie. Like you, you missed what tied it all together. Like, but like these scenes in this movie though, like with that's that scene where the daughter's just beating people with dildos. And then, then you get a scene later where a guy is fighting to be able to shove essentially a trophy up his ass. <laughs> and Michelle Yeoh's fighting him to stop him from doing it. And then like, and then another guy shows up. Like it just jumps just onto the trophy and just shoves it up his ass so he can fight better. And then the other guy just finds another trophy to shove up his ass to fight better. And I mean, that jump was that <laughs> jump that that one guy did was E Honda <laughs> street oh, yeah. fighter style sumo wrestler seat drop to shove a trophy a up his ass. <laughs> and, it, and I know this sounds ridiculous, but it makes complete sense in the movie. Yep. <laughs> like it, it's weird. But it makes sense. They the rules they establish in this movie justify those actions. Like, have you also ever been in a movie or seen a movie where you were like in a tense situation where you were hoping somebody would give themselves paper cuts on the webbing of their finger? You were hoping for it. <laughs> And this movie no, does that. Never in my life until this. Like, I never thought I would see a movie where, let alone Michelle Yeoh, but also Jamie Lee Curtis would be shoving prosthetic hot dog fingers into each other's mouths until they ejaculated ketchup and mustard. <laughs> And it makes complete sense. Like that's, yeah. I think that that's the beauty of this movie. I said a bunch of nonsense. And it makes complete sense to anybody that's seen this movie. Just complete fucking sense. Like, I don't know what it's been lately, but and I don't know if you watched it, Justin, but the movie turning red. So you've got Encanto, Turning Red, this movie. There's also a movie that came out a couple of years ago with Aquafina called Farewell. I don't know what it is lately, but these movies made by and for, you know, like minority people in America are tackling generational trauma like nothing else. Yeah. They have just put that, that theme on the, like on notice. They're like, we are going to make just four movies that are going to destroy you, damn it. Because Turning Red does it. This movie does it. Encanto does it. Like I said, that Aquafina movie, Farewell, does it. And they're fucking all good. Like They are all yeah. good movies. Like, I know they frame the generational trauma in specifics that establish a cultural background to like either the Latinx or the Asian communities. But they're also universal. They still apply universally. The, the movies do a great job of 
making them universal, even if they put the specifics of a culture in it. You know, this movie focuses more on some of the Chinese stuff with it and focuses more on that with the specifics. But the theme is so universal and they do such a great job of telling it that it, it, it works in any context. Like, I mean, that scene at the end of that movie where the, the, the daughter wants to go into that black bagel, which also there's a black bagel of nothingness. Yes. And it's a bagel. <laughs> it's a bagel. I knew that you would enjoy that. <laughs> I'm just like, holy fuck. It's a bagel. But like. Like that scene where they're like fighting to stop her to go into it. Like. That is a ridiculous and beautiful scene all at the same time. Like you have the grandpa with the wheelchair mech suit and she's fighting all these people and giving them like their desires from other universes or whatever and all this shit and like fixing their their traumas. Like I, I loved that ending where she's beating her opponents by fixing their traumas. Yep. Curing that ass. Yeah. <laughs> Just to get to her daughter, but then also, like, was willing to accept that that that's what her daughter, her multiversal daughter needs, but wanted her to know that she doesn't have to do that. And like, pulled her back. Like, it was such a beautiful fucking scene of, like I said, it intermixed powerful, like, human emotions with ridiculous ass shit just all, all kind like they interlaced it with there's a universe where people are just rocks and they talk telepathically as rocks and they chase each other as rocks and you know and like they're doing that whole scene and then like the daughter falls off the cliff and then she's like as a rock and she's like no I'm gonna go after my daughter and her little rock falls down the hill and chases her it's fucking great and it's heartwarming. Yeah. And you're just watching rocks go off a cliff, you know. And what you said just about the whole theme of the generations and stuff like that. And that's what's just so um, interesting about this story. Because, like, the whole thing with this villain, the Jobu Tupaki. Don't want to mess that name up. And that, and that being the daughter and you know, as this movie's going along, you know, you're thinking, okay, this thing or this person or this being, whatever it is, this entity is taking the form of her daughter and everything like that. But by the time you get to the movie and you're kind of realizing that this villain was created because of that generational trauma, that relationship that she never got from Evelyn and had been sort of trying to, she's been meeting up with all these other Evelyns trying to get that connection, but wasn't able to get it until this final Evelyn, Michelle Yeoh's character kind of put it together was what what needed to happen was they needed to bond. There needed to be like a genuine love in a relationship. Like 
And it just speaks to so much relatable stuff. Like, I know people who, you know, they never got those relationships or that closeness with their parents for whatever reason, you know, or whatever. And then I know people who, you know, that's a very like common psychological thing where because you couldn't get that relationship from family or whatever, you search for it and try to get it in other people, in other things, in other, in other places, through other people, stuff like that. And it's a void that you're trying to fill. And this villain, this character was trying to fill it across multiverses, was trying to find it like across dimensions with all these other versions of Evelyn and still wasn't able to find that still wasn't finding that until finally we got to this one, the worst Evelyn, the worst multiverse Evelyn that, that finally put that together and realized like what truly mattered. But I just thought that was such an interesting villain concept, you know, the, the, she became the villain because of that relationship. You know, that's sort of what inspired her to do what she was doing, you know? So I just thought all of that was really neat. I've never seen a villain crafted quite like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Very rarely is the, the villains like ultimate motivations going through the multiverse to find a version of her mother that she could actually bond with. Yeah. You know, like, which that's is funny. so tragic and sad, but like you said, that's so relatable though. Yeah. Because you know? in your own existence, if you don't have that relationship with a parental figure or something like that, it's like, you feel like it's like that weird way of like, is there a version somewhere of my family out there that I belong in or something like that? It's, it's like that wish of something, you know, of like, is there just some version of my mother that actually likes me or that I'm good enough for or whatever? Like, you know, and it's like that whole thing of like that fear of like that no version of your mother would ever like you or whatever, like look at you like that or that would, you know, not look at you as a disappointment or something like it plays into those fears. And then universally also, like, like you said, it's the weird version of like, that's why this Evelyn is special because every wrong decision that Evelyn make that in some other universes, you know, she's better off for, she made the wrong decision in this one. And that's why she's the quote unquote worst Evelyn. And, but she's the one that went through enough trauma with her in herself that she was able to realize what it was doing, even though that version of Evelyn also didn't realize what she was doing to her own daughter during all that. Yes. You know, and it took a multi dimensional war with a version of her daughter to realize what she was doing to her own universe's daughter. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like all those things. And like, like it was just, it's so beautiful with the way they crafted that. And then like, I did love the end of this movie though, when she's sitting there and she's talking to her dad and it's like when she accepted, she needed to like save her daughter 
you know, or not, not, not save, but to just to, to let go and to connect with her daughter. When she finally accepted that, I love the scene where she's like, yeah, dad, this is, you know, your granddaughter's girlfriend. Now I'm going to chase, you know, after my granddaughter or after my daughter, you know what I mean? Like that was just a fantastic way they did that scene. And like, and I loved it because like the grand, the grandfather showed a little bit of the same reasons why Michelle Yeoh's character or like the character of Evelyn didn't want to tell him. He showed a little bit of that, but then like, yeah, I did like the fact that, you know, they did show a little bit of sometimes. And I, and I mean this very strictly at sometimes older generations can surprise you a little bit with some stuff. You know, yeah. that sometimes we don't give them the chance because we automatically assume some stuff. And I also do think that that is fair that we assume some of that stuff because more often than not, we're not wrong. You know, yeah. older, older generations can't accept a lot of things. They've they've proven it. It's just. Yeah, they've proven it. It's yeah. not our fault that they proved it themselves. <laughs> they sometimes proved it without anybody asking them to. They went out of their way to prove it. Yeah. (laughs) You know? But I like the fact that they didn't, you know, they just showed that sometimes they just will accept some stuff, you know? Like, I have a very tumultuous relationship with the, the, the one grandparent I still have alive. Um, because she is of a generation that does not understand you know, my piercings and, and, and my tattoos and my extra long beard and all that stuff. And, and the, the language I use and the religious beliefs I have and all kinds of stuff. Um, she doesn't understand any of that. And she's not really necessarily loving about it either. It's not like she just still accepts me for me. She hates every fucking thing about it. But I do have a cousin that is a part of the LGBTQ community. And my aunt kind of kind of like in this movie. Kind of forced her to be accepting of it in a weird way. Like because she she was starting to say some stuff because she was questioning it to my aunt. And my aunt just went off on her was like, look. You are not about to say anything bad about my daughter. And that part of her, because, you know, like, you know, that's my daughter. I love her. And if you say anything remotely anti against any aspect of that, you will not have a daughter or granddaughter to talk to about any of the stuff like went off on her. And like my grandmother's like, no, no, I just I just wanted to know what it was like. That's not what she was going to say. But because my because my aunt put her on the spot and was like, it's either this or nothing. You're going to accept it. She will when it accepted it. And I felt like that's kind of the situation with the grandfather. Like it was a, this is the way it is. Deal with it. I'm walking away now. Like, yeah, I felt it was kind of the same thing that like you can sometimes force older generations to accept some things, you know, more often than not, you can't, but sometimes you can, you can just put them in a spot and go, it's the way it is. Deal with it or go (laughs) and they'll accept it a little bit because they got stuff, you know, but also like, and part of the reason, like, my my grandmother will never say anything to me about it. Like, all these things that my grandmother hates about me with all this stuff, 
she won't say to me about it. She'll say it to like my dad and my aunt, Hmm. but she won't say it to that because she knows I have a history of cutting off family members that piss me off. So (laughs) (laughs) don't say it to me because Sterling will go, I don't need you grandmother. I can not deal with this. I'm fine with that. Like you used to live in Florida. I saw you once every four or five years. You're not that big of a part of my life. Like, (laughs) let's be real. You know, but I say all that just because like, I liked that part of the scene, you know, because they're a version of that grandfather. And that was the fantastic thing. Another version of that grandfather character wanted to kill the granddaughter. Yeah. You know, like that's what's fantastic about it. And you, because you get all these wildly different characters with the same actors. You know, that one scene I loved, I loved in this movie is like almost the most normal scene in this movie when it's just Michelle Yeoh and, 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 so it's Evelyn and, and, and her husband in that universe where she's an actress and they didn't end up together yeah. and they're just standing there talking. And that's just a weirdly amazing scene in this movie. In this movie of crazy batshit sci-fi and amazing action set pieces and all this shit. One of my favorite scenes is just two people talking in an alley. Was, was was that not great? Just like the, the yeah, the, like the, what they were talking about the way, and then she's like, "Oh, do you ever wonder like what if you know?" And then she's like, "Well, if we had gone together, we would have been poor and running a laundromat." And he was like, "I would have loved doing that with you." Yeah, and then he's like, and then she's like, "Well, what about if we do this?" And he's like, "No, I'm not playing that game. Like, I did love you." And I would have loved doing that thing and being a, that simple life with you. But we're not those people anymore. So we're not going to play this game. Yeah. Like, that was great. That was tight. Yeah. Man, I loved this movie. Man, and it was just, it was just great. I mean, and and that's like, that scene was great, but it was like every like different scenario you got with the characters just had such a, it just had such a genuine feeling to it. It just had such an earnestness to it that they all just wind up being effective. Even the Ratatouille raccoon cook. Oh my fucking God. I can't believe we haven't talked about that yet. (laughs) Oh my God. That was fucking fantastic too. Yeah. There's so much fantastic random shit in this movie. It's easy to like, to lose yourself in it. Yeah. Raccoon Tui. Oh, that was great. Yeah. That was that, that that was great too. Just all of that and just the 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 solution of that and realizing that, you know, you've got to the the connecting and helping people and everything like that. You know, this character, the arc of the of Michelle's uh Evelyn character Evelyn character just thinking that everything's got to be a battle and you got to fight and this, then the other. And then like just that arc of discovering that no, the only way, the only real solution to this is to make these connections. I mean, it was just done 
so incredibly well. And then and then not to even and see, I'm I'm skipping around too because this movie just puts your mind all over the place. But then also just this concept that in order to shift your consciousness from one multiversal personality of yours to another is that you have to perform this just this list of crazy actions yeah and it's got to be this the most just unlikely thing that you would do like that you would do in that situation like you have to stick a trophy up your ass or you, and like, you have to paper cut your hand or whatever the I case like the way may they be. Described it was it. just such a brilliant concept. Well, I like the way they described it where, cause it was all about probabilities of like, what could you do now in your life that could get you technically on the path towards that other universe. And they were talking about how the more random, the better. Yeah. You yeah. know, like they had a list and they were like, there were some like normal things and it'd be like, yeah, but it's a lower probability. This batshit idea that'll slingshot you through yeah. other multiverses into the other one because it's so crazy. I yeah, I agree. I loved that shit. Like yeah, especially when you just saw random characters and like because when you're first introduced to that concept, they're walking Michelle Yeoh through it. They're telling her those things. You know what I mean? And. I, I like how in that scene, he's like, well, look and think about going into that closet. He's like, don't, but think about it. And then when you get over there, it's like, put your shoes on backwards. And then do something else and do something else. And then that were the choices that would, that slingshot her into the universe where she did walk into the closet, you know? And then like, and I loved it though, that like later in the movie, when you just see a character doing something random, you know, they're doing it to access something from another universe. You just accept it. You don't need that part explained to you anymore. So like I said, when they're fighting to shove a trophy up their ass, it's because they're trying to do the most outlandish thing to slingshot to another universe. Yep. So they can hopefully pull someone and get an advantage in this fight because they need somebody with a certain set of skills. And like, it's also brilliant storytelling because you could have easily made the mistake of doing too weird of stuff at the beginning, like before you explain the rules and stuff like that and really kind of had your audience grasp the rules. And then like, it, you you could have kind of had this disjointed tone with it all, but they were very smart about we're just going to do little things like put your shoes on backwards. You know, that's a weird thing, but that's not shoving a trophy up your ass. You know, I like how it kind of progressed in steps in that way. Like, well, because and especially because they were so smart and they wanted to make small changes at first. Like she needed to yeah. end up in the closet. So she had to go to the universe where she went there, you know, so they could have that conversation. So I like, they just did the small things. And yeah. then later in the movie, they had to make bigger jumps. They had to go to bigger universes, pull bigger skills. And so in doing so they did that, but I like how they didn't actually stop doing small things because 
at later in the movie, there's just the universe where she freaks out at Jamie Lee Curtis and they end up sitting outside and talking on a bench. Yeah. Yeah. That's a universe. And that's happening when all that's happening during and after all the crazy shit. They still have a small change universe in there that they're tying yeah. into. True. True. Yeah. They, they didn't forget about those things. And because of this concept, it just made every fight feel like something you haven't seen before. Normally in fight scenes and action sequences and stuff like that, it's pretty simple. You know, normally the concept just is the character is trying to get from point A to point B. These are the obstacles in the way. So we're going to have a scene, an action sequence, and this character is going to have to get from point A to point B. This character is trying to escape these people. So this is what, so we're going to have this fight and this character needs to do this, or this character is trying to defeat this character. So you got to have, you know, normally it's a straightforward concept where like, it's just about, okay, we've got to get from here to there and stuff like this. This sort of like changes the game entirely on fighting scenes because you had a person like, dare I say it was almost like a video game, but it, but, but, but no video game I've ever played like this where like you're, yes, you play games where like you're switching to different abilities and stuff to do something, but in a fighting scene form, it was just so interesting how you just had a character jumping to, okay, I need to do this weird, crazy thing and I'm going to grab gum from under the table and chew it. And then, then I'm going to become a martial arts person so I can use martial arts, but Oh, then I need to do something crazy so I can become a cook so that I can use these two cooking utensils well so that I can defend myself in this fight. But, Oh, now I need to, um, you know, do something even crazier and become this other person because I need this skill to get out of this situation. Like, because they set up that concept so beautifully, they played with so many scenarios that you just don't typically get in action sequences. So it just made for the most like memorable action sequences I've seen in a long time. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right with that. And like, in a way, the closest example you'll get to some of the fighting scene stuff is that Morpheus Neo fight. Yeah. In the original Matrix. Where he's just like downloading martial arts. And that's the closest you get to it. But this movie steps it up. Because like you said, she learns, she goes into a universe where she's a hibachi chef to know how to defend herself with some like cookware. You know? Like they take it to a way different level with that stuff. And it's, it's unique with how they do it. And like, also like, I also forget like one of the first fight sequences you get in this movie is a guy beating other people down with a fucking fanny pack. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, also a fanny pack. It's just a tie into like us specifically. It was amazing when Jamie Lee Curtis learned pro wrestling fighting also in the middle of the movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was badass. And then was given suplexes and stuff. That that was that was also like really badass. And, and it was just such interesting concepts and just such thing, just interesting things they were able to do with the fights because of that concept. And so, like you said, when you get done with this movie, you're just like, oh my gosh, just imagine. It just feels like it opened up the arena for so many interesting things. Like you want to know what the next cool idea is. It just, it just made you go, oh man, you can do a fight scene this way. I can have a fight scene with dildos and people trying to shove stuff up their ass and like it. What's next? You know, well, like, like how do you get inventive and original fight sequences in this? But you watch something like Morbius or Uncharted with a budget like nine times more than this movie. They have the m- most fucking white bread bland fucking fight sequences ever good point good point like why are big budget like fuck dude look at the fucking last matrix movie the the fight sequences were nothing in that yeah you have something like this some fucking small ass movie that has no business being what it was just decimating you in originality and quality when it comes to fight sequences. This movie technically at its heart is a comedy. It's a sci-fi comedy. that has some of the best fight scenes in movies in a long time. I mean, like honestly, when it comes to the fight sequences of this movie, I'm looking back at it and I'm trying to think of what I've seen recently that I genuinely enjoyed the action sequences. Like I do this, you know, maybe some of the scenes and the last duel, maybe, but that's still a very old fighting style, you know? I mean, honestly, to get down to the uniqueness with the fight sequences and stuff like that, I'm almost, it almost might be nobody. With Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. Yeah. As far as just like quality fight scenes and like, yeah, last duel, that 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 was another good mention as far as like the quality of the fight scenes were so high. But definitely in terms of uniqueness, this is almost in a class by itself. Just with just how like unique it was. Those are definitely high quality fight scenes in those movies. Like they are of high quality, but man, this just like to get to the truly uniqueness of it. You might have to go back to John wick three. Now it wouldn't have the, it wouldn't have the ridiculousness that this does, but the John wick fighting sequences, they are special with their uniqueness. Yeah. Yeah. And just how innovative and well thought out those fight sequences are. And this, not in the same way, like not with the same creativity, like it's not the same kind of creativity. Like, oh, it is we're going to be throwing knives at each other and some are going to stick and some are not and they're yeah. going to fall and we're going to just keep throwing. Like 
it's not creative as far as like the logistics of fighting, but it is creative with how it just mixed all of these unlikely things. And it still makes sense in a fight scene, you know, which well, makes it like almost its own thing. Almost. Well, this movie, like the John Wick's movies are able to further the story with fight sequences, like legitimately yeah. further the story. They use fighting as storytelling, not as just action set pieces. There yeah, is, that's a great point. There is definitely does that storytelling in it. You know, and I, I mean, and the only reason, well, like, like you said, they are not the same type of fight sequences at all. It is apples and oranges with the type of fight sequences they are, but they, like I said, they use them in, in similar ways. And at least like just the idea of unique fight sequences is where they, they both register as unique to their brand, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, you know, memorable, like impactful, like yeah. not just forgettable. Oh, I'll never remember what happened. Fight sequences. Exactly. You know, like, yeah, like I, I, I can't. I saw Morbius. We saw Morbius. What? Last week. I can't remember shit of the fight scenes. Oh, the bat Hadouken. I remember that. Yeah, the bat Hadouken. That's, that, that's, that's it. it. Other than that, it's them <laughs> just kind of grabbing each other and spinning around. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and it's just normal punchy punchy shit. Yeah. Like Oh. But yeah, no, this the, the this movie is just top tier. It really is. Like I can't I can't believe I forgot about the raccoon the raccoon toy. Oh. Especially cuz like I loved it, especially the way they ended that where at first she jumps on his head and starts controlling him like the raccoon was. And then it's not working, so then she picks him up. Oh, it's fucking great. Yeah, that that was great. And it was just funny how sometimes, like, like whenever Raccoon Tui was in the cage and he was like, ah, you know, like yelling, and they were doing all these dramatic scenes at once, you know, the hot dog finger, people were angry with each other and sad. The Raccoon Tui was in there going, ah, you know, that they, they cut they just kept cutting all of these like dramatic moments and all of these scenes where these people were these different universes. She was kind of at her lowest point, like, which was also cool, but it was funny at the same time. Cause you got hot dog people, finger people being sad. And they had just, they're playing piano with their feet at the same time. Yeah. With their feet at the same time, you got a raccoon in a cage going, no, you know, it was just, so this movie is so crazy. <laughs> like everybody's like, it's, I love how they're showing in all the universes. Like essentially, like you said, everybody's at their lowest point. And like you said, it's intermixed with hot dog fingers and a raccoon screaming and talking in a cage. Just <laughs> cuts back and forth with it. You know, and like, it's and somehow they nailed it. Like it, 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 it never doesn't work. It yeah. works every single time. Every time. Every time, man. Every time. <laughs> and then whenever she started getting her life together or like started figuring it out and all this shit and everything, like, and I loved how it was bouncing around the different universes and you got to start seeing the resolutions 
of the storylines in these other universes. But then they kept it true to form. Like, cause that's whenever they did the hot dog scene where her and Jamie Lee Curtis are just shoving their hot dog fingers into each other's mouths and ejaculating ketchup and mustard into their mouths. Cause that's what they do in the hot dog finger world. So they're doing that and you're watching it happen. And you're just like, Oh, they worked it out. Yeah. You're just like, Oh, what a heartfelt emotional scene. Yeah. And it's hot dog finger feeding each other. And then, and then this is when Michelle Yo launches Harry Shrum Jr. into the back of the pickup of the the guy that had the raccoon, saving the raccoon, and like it's it's. And then in the next scene, she's connecting with the auditor because they realize they have commonality between each other. And then in yeah. the other scene, she's rescuing her daughter from going into the everything bagel of doom, like. <laughs> And those scenes are all connected to each other. When you you go back, I would really just love to go back and replay that for somebody with no context. (laughs) It It, sounds like the dumbest shit, but it's it's not. We promise, guys. It's not. It's like the greatest shit. I promise you. It is. Because whenever all that's happening, you're never once questioning any of it. You're just like, yep, I'm glad to see all that. Yep. <laughs> got, got that heartwarming resolution in all those universes. Yeah. And, and, and like you said, just every character being important in some kind of way. And then with everything going on between her and the husband, you know, um, Wayman in this movie, or also he was the you know, the, the agent that was traveling in the, um, in some versions of himself, but that was even cool too. The whole, everything going on with that and the divorce and stuff like that. And her seeing him as kind of this, you know, seeing the present version of her husband, is like this weak person, you know what I mean? And she kept wanting the agent, the time traveler, version of himself to come back you know she kept asking for him constantly oh come back oh what you left me you left me and mad at him whenever that version of himself would leave and i just love that whole that even that part man that full circle story of her realizing the significance of her present husband what made him special is that and then that whole And then whenever it cut to that scene of him talking and him saying, this is how I fight, you know, this is how I fight. I'm I'm not going to be jumping and punching somebody, but with feelings, we get into the heart of people, the matter of people and feelings and connecting with people. That's how I fight battles. And her realizing that that was a tactic you know, not not really a tactic, but realizing that that could be the key to all this. Like all of that was just great, man. Just man, man, this movie was tight. I agree. I agree. Yeah. You got anything else about this movie? Nah, man. I digress. <laughs> I want to end this on just one more note that kind of goes back to Morbius a little bit. Uh, so like we talked about in the Morbius episode, I brought up the fact that like 
he was on that bullshit about being pushed around in a wheelchair. Like, so it started, apparently he was walking around on the crutches, but like anytime he'd go like use the restroom, it would take infinitely longer than it needed to. So they like conceded to him being in a wheelchair for those, like those times. And then, so a bunch of actors have started to come out against him about it. Like they haven't mentioned him about it yet, but like they're coming out against him. Like Mads Mikkelsen guy that plays Grindelwald in the new Harry Potter, but he was also in Hannibal. Fantastic fucking actor. Love this guy. He's one of my favorite actors going right now. There's a movie he does called another round. Oh my God. He's utterly fucking fantastic in that movie, but he's talking about it and he's like, I don't understand it because you know, why are you method acting for a bad movie? (laughs) Like (laughs) like, if it's a bad movie, what are you doing? You know, and then like there's the, like what we talked about when he tried to do that shit for the little things and Denzel Washington was like, fuck you, we're not doing that. Um, there was another actor and God, I really wish I remember who it was. But then also came out and said the same thing. Essentially, he was like. You know, method acting's fine and all, but like. If you're just being a shitty person, then that just means you're using method acting to be a shitty person to justify your shittiness. Like. It's a lot yeah. better if you're just a good person and you just act well also. Like, and it's funny that the way they timed it, like I said, nobody mentioned like Mads, Mads didn't mention him and the other guy, fuck, I really wish I remember who it was. And it's somebody that's like, I, it wasn't like they're like the best actor in the world, but they're like, they're a solid actor. Like you've seen them and stuff. And you're like, Oh, they're good. You know? And like, they didn't mention Jared Leto. But the fact that it comes out when people are talking about the bullshit method acting stuff he was doing behind the scenes, you're like, they're talking about Jared Leto. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. (laughs) Yeah, that's what they're doing. And it's just great that that, that people are doing that. You know, they're just like, yeah, you're dumb. (laughs) I like the one guy's response. Why are you method acting for a bad movie? (laughs) That's the best. That is sound logic, sir. Sound logic. Yeah. Like, because could do you think you'd be able to tell the difference in his Michael Morbius performance if he didn't method act it? Like. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, like somebody like I, I don't remember which one of those two people that I was talking about brought it up. But somebody was like, if you're portraying a serial killer, you don't method act a serial killer and go kill people. Like, you don't run around kill people, so it's obviously bullshit. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, so what's, what are you doing? Like, and, and Matt's can say shit like that because he played Hannibal on the Hannibal TV series, which he, he's leaps and bounds better than Sir Anthony Hopkins. I said it and I stand behind every word I just said with that. But, oh. But yeah, if he method acted that, he would have been eating people. <laughs> like, you know, if he method acted his way through the movie in another round, he would be dead from alcohol poisoning. Because the, the, the movie is about him being an alcoholic. Like, he would have been dead if he method acted that. Just dead. Oh, damn. Yeah. I get what people are saying. I think 
it's one of those things where he feels like a person and it's sad because I don't know, should I peel back the curtain on wrestling a little bit? You know what? Fuck it. I'm, you know, why tell, why say something if you can't tell the truth, but like this almost feels like when a person hears stories about like a legendary actor or somebody like that would method act. Like you hear stories about like Daniel day Lewis and stuff like that method acting. And Daniel day Lewis is considered by many to be one of the greatest, if not, you know, if not the greatest, but definitely one of the greatest like actors of all time. And He's legendary for doing method acting, you know, when he played Lincoln and stuff like that. You know, he's famous for that. And when I think about Leto and him doing it for Morbius, like just a bad movie, you know, this feels like an actor who looks at somebody like Daniel Day-Lewis and goes, man, I'm going to do it his way. You know, I'm going to be as cool as him. And if I do it this way, if I do the same things he did, everybody will love me and respect me. And I'll just be looked at as this awesome actor. You know what I mean? That's what it kind of feels like. But then you do with that. And for, first of all, like, like that one actor said, the movie choices are not good. Second of all, it doesn't feel genuine. It doesn't feel like you're doing this for the sake of the art. It feels like maybe it feels to them like disingenuous, like you're doing this because you think it will increase your reputation or you think people will say, oh, man, look at Jared Leto. He's awesome. He method acts. And I feel like it's just kind of all backfiring on him. And like in the wrestling world, like, like I won't say any names, but I have encountered a lot of wrestlers like this. You know, they copy certain wrestlers or they say, oh, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to have a match and do the same moves that this person does. Or they say that they do these different methods and they do these things like these legendary wrestlers or they go, well, I wrestled this way. And because Bruno San Martino or, Hulk Hogan or whoever wrestled this way, I'm doing the same things they do. So therefore I'm going to be more accepted. You know, more promoters are going to like me. People are going to respect me, et cetera, et cetera. And like, or they change their name or, you know, I've just encountered wrestlers kind of like this too. And nothing that they do feels genuine. They just, they they do all these things and they think that by doing these things it will they will have this identity of a person who is great or professional or who does it the right way whatever they have in their heads and it's totally not that and everybody just kind of laughs at them and doesn't respect them and it's like man if you had just been yourself you probably would have just been better off you know if you had just been more true to you, you probably would have been better off. And I don't know that this feels a lot like that when it comes to Jared Leto. Well, like I get what you're saying about Daniel day Lewis, but like when Daniel day Lewis method acted in like Lincoln, 
he taught himself calligraphy from the mid 1800s and hand wrote letters to his co like his co-stars you know like he wrote a letter to joseph gordon levitt being like i'm so happy i'm gonna get to work on this movie with you in the exact same writing style that abraham lincoln did you know and even like in an extreme version of it when he did gangs in new york and you know he stayed in character kind of between scenes and you know so his character hated leonardo DiCaprio's character so he would hate Leonardo DiCaprio. But all he did was like scowl at him when they ate lunch. Like he just gave him angry looks when they ate lunch. You know what I mean? He wasn't being a yeah. dick. Yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> like he just stayed in character of like, oh, I don't like you. So I'm going to scowl at you while I eat my sandwich. Like, you know, um, I looked it up. The other guy is Will Poulter, who is going to play Adam Warlock in the next Guardians movie. Uh, he played what he played one of the people in midsummer. He played the video game developer guy in that black mirror choose your own adventure. You know, um, he was in revenant. He played the young kid and we are the Millers, like the young little white kid that sings, uh, TLC's waterfalls word for word. And it's a big joke. Like it's that guy, you know, and he's like, yeah, you're just being a dick. <laughs> like, you know, he's like, what's the, what, why are you acting like this just to be a dick? And I'm like, see, like, you don't have to do this shit. Like, you know, like there's the famous Lawrence Olivier quote when he worked on that marathon man with Dustin Hoffman and Dustin Hoffman was big on method acting and Lawrence Olivier was like tired of it. And he was like, have you ever just tried acting? Like, just act. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and like, but like, yeah, like people want to be Daniel Day Lewis. You know, also Daniel Day Lewis doesn't pick Morbius. Like, start exactly. with that. Yeah, why don't you start don't with being that. Morbius? And also, like Daniel Day Lewis was such a nice guy, and like he's such a soft-spoken guy. Like he quit acting for five years and was just a cobbler in Italy. Like he was just making shoes in Italy, and that's what he did for a job. He opened up a little shop and was just hand making shoes. Like wow. if you're not that type of person, don't mess it act. Like, you know, yeah. like in my left foot, he method acted by legitimately teaching himself how to use his feet for hands. You know, like that's the type of stuff he did. You know, he was, he wasn't a dick to people like, like in the, in that last movie he did, The Phantom Thread, he learned how to sew clothes. That's how he method acted. He learned how to legitimately sew and make clothing. Okay. Nobody's going to get mad at you for learning how to like sew before you start making the movie. So that way when you're making the movie and doing those scenes, you know what you're doing. No one's getting mad at that. Yeah. And you're not inconveniencing your co-workers and your team members. I mean, yeah. if you're doing all of that, then this is not, this is something beyond just you doing this for the sake of the art. Now you're just making it harder for everybody to do their job. And to my analogy, that's what it feels like with certain wrestlers. They're so wrapped up in wanting to do this thing that you're making just the process of wrestling hard, you know, 
over what? It's just so that you can feed this ego or, you know, appease something about, do something that you think is necessary, but really nobody cares about. Like, well, you're, you're filling a void that's not there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think Leto's doing that. I think that's what he's doing. He method acted to play the Joker. It wasn't even a good Joker or a good, (laughs) once again, wasn't a good movie. Yeah. What, what did his method acting bring to that fucking performance? Nothing. Nothing. Because he was just a fucking mobster, essentially. He just, you you know, that's all he was. He was just like a fucking drug pusher type of character. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) just makes no sense. Like, you know, whenever fucking Jared Leto method acted for House of Gucci, he didn't learn anything about designing clothes. No, he just like method acted being a stereotypical weird Italian guy (laughs) doing a terrible Mario impression. That was his method acting for that. Like he just like, it looked like it just seemed like he just ate some pasta and like watched videos of Mario to develop being (laughs) an Italian. (laughs) It wasn't even like good pasta. I bet it was like olive garden. He ate olive garden and watched Mario videos. And he was like, I'm an Italian. Damn. Damn. And I just think a lot of that is ego. It's. Yeah. Like I get the idea of if you want to be an actor and you want to be the best actor. I get that. Like that's, that's not a bad quality, but like, I mean, when it comes down to it, he was what great in Dallas buyers club. And that's it. What else has he been graded? Like, that's a good, good man. Damn, are you right? Yeah, he's been okay in a bunch of other right. shit. Like he was okay yeah, in okay. Requiem for a Dream. Like he was okay mm-hmm. in Requiem for a Dream, but he is not by far not the best actor in that movie. No. He's just not. Like the woman that plays his mom, and I. I I can't believe I'm spacing on her name. And Jennifer Connelly are fucking leaps and bounds better than him in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess he played an okay teenager in what? My so-called life? <laughs> Isn't that the show he was on in the 90s? I think so. Yeah. Player Danes? Yeah, that show that lasted yeah. like one or two seasons. He was, I guess he played a good teenager. He, I mean, okay. But like, he, Dallas Buyers Club, name something else he's great in. I just, I can't think of anything that he's great in. You got a point. You got a point. And also in Dallas Buyers Club, all he did was essentially play a trans person, which you would argue, or you can argue and should argue a trans person would have played being a trans person better. (laughs) Yeah. That just kind of speaks to the whole idea for a long time that if a straight actor plays somebody of a different sexual orientation, 
they're a great actor <laughs> and their performance is amazing. I'm looking through his fucking IMDb, dude. Oh, in Blade in Blade Runner 2049, he used to like practice being blind by wearing a blindfold. And I'm like, all his character did was walk around like a blind person, kinda. His character didn't do anything other than walk and stand. <laughs> I really, I really, I'm looking at his IMDb and I don't think that there really is anything outside of, oh, he played it. He played a good guy getting murdered in American Psycho. I'll give him that. <laughs> I would have murdered him too. That's all I'm saying. He, he played a character. He, he played a character that you wanted to get murdered. I'll give him that. Yeah, that's all I got for him. I just thought it was funny. So that all that stuff came out this week of people just backhandedly, obviously talking about him. So no, that's pretty funny. So yeah. yeah. On that note, guys, thank you for listening to this episode of the cinema slash podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com or Facebook. We're cinema slash podcast, Twitter and Instagram. We're cinema underscore slayers. TikTok, We're cinema slayers pod search for cinema slayers on YouTube. You can catch the audio only episodes right now. We're episode 200. We will go live with video so you can see our faces. That will be uh, the Moon Knight episode. We're going to delay our Moon Knight episode for that episode. So check that out. Um, Oh, fuck. This is episode 194. So there's like six more episodes till then. So we're fast approaching that. So get ready for that, guys. Uh, give us five star rating and review. We'd really appreciate. It. Really helps us out. It's all algorithm shit. So do that. Uh, tell your family. Tell your friends. Tell your friends' family. Tell your family's friends. And most of all, tell those dear sweet mothers because well, mothers might have to take their kids to Sonic, and they might have played Sonic when they were a kid. So hey, they might like that. And like I said, everyone needs to watch uh, everything everywhere all at once. The tongue twister of a title. Um, yeah, so everybody needs to see that. So definitely tell mothers to watch that movie. Watch it with your mother. If you've seen it, you definitely should do that because you'll know why. If you haven't seen it, then great. It's a both a surprise for both of you, and it's fucking fantastic. And if you have any issues with your mother, maybe it helps you guys, you know, realize you need to work on some stuff and get on some common ground. And who doesn't want that? Well, me, I don't really care if I get on common ground with my mother. But hey, that's a whole other bag of fucking shit we don't need to get onto on this podcast. So, uh, yeah, that's whatever. But yeah, do that. Everybody watch that movie. And uh, just always remember, this was the the day of the third episode of Moon Knight. So uh, just remember, recording to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. I guess I've got some scissors here. I guess if I were to have stuck these scissors in my ear, pretty sure that would have got me to another version of myself.
Possibly. But you would also have needed those little ear thingies too. Yeah, that's true. That's right. They have the little, you have to do it and then get the beep. Yeah. So yeah. they have been kind of productive. Uh, otherwise, Justin, you're just stabbing yourself in the ear with scissors. <laughs> until, until you've mastered and gone so far and so crazy and so many times between all the universes that you can then start, just start doing it yourself. Like the mm. daughter does. Yeah. That's the daughter true. doesn't need those things. And neither does Evelyn towards the end of the movie. True. They're able to just jump through them because they are special. True that. See? See? So now I'm glad you didn't stab yourself in the ear with scissors. It would have done nothing except been weird for me to watch on FaceTime. <laughs> you would have been the weirdest thing ever. Sure you would have remembered. Crap, you scissors and stabbed him. And then you would have just started screaming because you just stabbed yourself in the ear with scissors. And see, there you go. And all that was just a lesson for Jared Leto. Don't method act everything. Because you might want to think about if he was in in this movie. All the things he would have done if he was in this movie and method acted it. He would have beat somebody down with some dildos. He just found some random guy on the street and beat him with dildos. Yeah, he would have had to have done the trophy thing as well, which might have been a little painful for him. He would have actually had to know what it's like to jump like E Honda onto a dildo trophy. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to lie. I want Jared Leto to do that to himself. So <laughs> I was about to say, I don't know. This sounded kind of good. Like maybe he needs to be in the second one. Which would be nothing, nothing, nowhere, and standing still. Nothing, nowhere, none of the time. There you go. <laughs> yeah, he could be in that one. It is just actually him that's a great suggestion. Shit. That's a great suggestion for his method acting. Just nothing, nowhere, none of the time. Just act. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if he has to method act, he just has to do normal shit. Like, they're like, all right, Jared Leto, your character does his taxes, so sit here and learn how to do your taxes. <laughs> all right, Jared Leto. This person just goes and orders food at a restaurant in a very polite and considerate manner. So just sit there being polite and considerate to everybody. <laughs> he just has to do normal shit. All right, Jared Leto, your character takes out the trash, so we're going to practice. Take all the trash out from the movie set every night when we're done filming. Uh, I I want to see that movie. Just forcing him to do mundane, normal shit and just be nice about it. All right. Uh, in this scene in the movie, it's Barbara's birthday. So make sure you go by the baker and pick up a cake, Jared Leto. Make sure you get all the candles. He's all really trying and just like thinking and conceptualizing this and just methoding the hell out of it, dude. Just going to the baker and picking up a cake. Yep. I'm going to get this damn cake. 
Uh, Jared Leto, it looks like your character's grass is getting a little too long. Uh, looks like you need to mow the lawn there. In this yeah, scene, right. this old lady needs to cross the seat street. Uh, so, uh, Jared Leto, help this old woman Man, safely get to I the other side of the going. intersection. I'm too good to do any of this shit. <laughs> why can I see him just completely abandoning this and going, uh, no, I'm too good for this. And just completely abandoning all of it because it's about his ego and not about what he's doing. Exactly. It matters nothing about the film. <laughs> he's like, no one's going to think I'm a good actor if I just do regular shit. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe somebody will eventually learn and quit putting him in movies because I don't know who's when the fuck does anybody go watch a movie because he's in it? How is he a draw? Like I just I don't understand. So I, I've never heard anybody all the other mention bullshit. him as a favorite. Like oh he's my favorite actor. I've never heard that. From anyone. Because he's Ever not. In my life. He is no one's favorite actor. <laughs> People just need to get tired of working with him. I think that's the other thing of it too. Nobody works with him more than once. <laughs> they realize he's shitty and so they don't ever work with him again. <laughs> Damn. All right, I'm out.